tracked down by Van Vliet. Fred behind the back in traffic. Oh, it's Fred's time. He's got 23. Come on. First pitch swinging, and he crushes it. Deep left center field. It's hit a mile. Guerrero with a home run, his third on the season, and the Blue Jays are within two. David plays it down the line. Look out that ball stay in, and Davies is on it. Davies takes it away. 2v1. Davies at Buchanan. Alfonso Davies keeps it himself. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the 13th Man Sports Podcast. We will be joined first by Ben. Hopefully I'm saying this right. I should have asked before we hit record. Um, it's Ben Steiner? That is, that's correct, Ben Steiner. Okay, cool. Uh, I was kind of worried about that at first. I tried pronouncing it beforehand. I should have asked, but we're joined by Ben Steiner. If you have not, if you don't know, he covers the Kingston Frontenacs. A lot of the OUA uh, and AUS stuff has been going through. I've seen a lot, of, mostly from you. Um as well as you're going to be working the Olympics for CBC this year. So we're glad to have you on because we can talk about almost everything going on in the sports world right now. Yeah, a little bit of everything for me right now. Uh, and a lot of the smaller sports as well, like uh, University Sport in Canada doesn't get a ton of coverage. So always happy to chat about that. And then, of course, with the Olympics coming up, so many of these uh, amateur athletes getting the spotlight that they deserve more than four years, but they only really get every once every four years. Yeah, that's the other one side of the Olympics is that like you get to see all these amazing athletes and you're like, wow, these guys are really, they're fantastic at what they do. But outside of this, you know, month period, it's like, how do I watch this? Like, where can I go to watch it? I know CBC has a lot of this stuff on like CBC Gem, but outside of that, it's kind of outside of everyone's, you know, it's outside of the public eye for most of the four years between the Olympics. It is to an extent, but it's also on the, on Canada's national public broadcaster and every Saturday and Sunday, it's on a road to the Olympic Games show that's right at primetime. So it's perfectly accessible. But of course, the, the numbers for watching World Cup on road to the Olympic Games do not even come close to paralleling uh, the numbers that are seen on Olympic viewer, viewership. And even look at the Olympic viewership for Tokyo 2020 and that time difference. Yes, people were at home because of the pandemic, but you're not getting that many people watching a 5,000 meter relay if it's just a World Series but getting that during the Olympics. So it's uh, pretty impressive what Canadians will show up and show up in numbers uh, and what the CBC is able to do uh, come Olympic time. But it's just a question of transferring that into regular uh, during the four-year quadrennial. The thing, though, is the stakes aren't necessarily there because even for the athletes, the focus is on the Olympic Games. The focus isn't necessarily on the World Cup circuit every year, even though winning the World Cup circuit is probably a bigger accomplishment than winning the Olympic gold. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot of sports and how they work in terms of like their, their year to year competition that I think a lot of people don't really get to see. And they don't really understand how the Olympic qualifiers for this stuff uh, go. And we will talk about the Olympics, but the first thing or the major thing going on, I mean, we're all from, we all live in Ontario. We all cover teams in Ontario is the, the elite, or the uh, OUA not being considered like an elite professional or amateur status. And 
we've seen a lot of guys, you know, move on from uh, university hockey to professional leagues. And it kind of leaves the question of like, how will that impact the rest of the season and, you know, the future seasons of university hockey? Yeah, it's going to have a ripple effect for years to come and COVID will as well, because you look back at the 2020 U Cup, we didn't get that tournament at the men's or women's tournaments. And we still likely won't have a, a championship this season because who knows when we get sports back in Atlantic Canada and in the OUA for that matter. Canada West is forging ahead and the RCQ will get back in action. I'm confident that Quebec women's hockey will be played this year. But I'm not so confident that the AUS or OUA will actually play this year. Yes, I want to be positive. Yes, I want to think that when January 27 and restrictions lift in Ontario that teams can get back to practicing. But we've we've done this dance before. We've done the two weeks before. It's been 23 months uh, of the two-week shutdown. And yes, I know we're all sick of it, but the pandemic's not over yet. I think there is a way that the OUA and the AUS can get back to safely playing. The AUS, of course, being a little more complicated because you have to deal with several provincial governments. The OUA should be considered elite. There's no doubt that it should be considered an elite amateur league and should get back to playing. But at this point, I'm just not so positive that it will. At the start of this, I was very positive that it will get back playing and there'll be a season and everything will be fine, even a national championship. But at this point, it's been almost two weeks that the OUA has been shut down. Yes, restrictions are, are lifting, but the OUA self-imposed a suspension until January 24th. So what that shows to me is they're not totally committed to bringing back the season. And in Atlantic Canada, the AUS put out a statement saying they're completely committed to bringing back the season. Yes, they might just be words at this point, but at least it's something. And that's not necessarily what the OUA is getting, at least in the public eye. Yeah, I mean, I know last time I saw it was, what, 44 players have left either the OUA or the AUS for, for pro careers. Has that gone up recently that we haven't seen, or is that still in that 40 range? Uh, well, it's up to 52. Uh, at time of recording, it's 52 players who've left the OUA, AUS, and Canada West for that matter. Uh, but really since the AUS and OUA paused their seasons uh, back in early December. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of players. I mean, a lot of, you know, ex-CHL players that have moved on to the to OUA or, or AUS, even Canada West. I mean, it, it's kind of a, it kind of shows where Olymp- like you, you sports is. Uh, in the totem pole of, of sports fans. Unfortunately, I feel like it kind of shows that like you're not going to miss out on a lot if you don't play for a lot of these universities, which is unfortunate. Um, what do you think the outcome is like longevity for uh, the OUA and the AUS for seeing so many players leave? I think on the surface, it's actually a positive seeing so many players leave because you're showing that this league can produce professional hockey players and it's not just a place you go when you're sort of washed up out of the CHL and just need to go to school and that's been the reputation of esports for the longest time is it's a last gasp opportunity and a last chance to play competitive hockey it's not that it hasn't been that for several years and now over 50 players have signed professional deals in men's hockey so it's clearly not that the thing though is those deals that they're signing now are a trickle-down effect from the NHL adding taxi squads taking players away from AHL teams and also players continuously going down into COVID protocol. And so teams need extra bodies. Organizations need extra players at this point. 
and they're coming to U Sports because these players have been playing through the first half of the season. They want to play, and they're happy to sign basically anywhere. You see guys signing in the SPHL, the third division, fourth division of American ice hockey. They just want a chance to play. And same thing's happening with guys going over to Germany and Austria. They just want a chance to play that they're not getting in the OUA and these teams need them. So yes, some of them will stick around of, of the 54 that have left U sports. Uh, some of them will stick around on professional deals afterwards, but every year there's players who leave U sports, they sign pro and they give up on their pro careers right then. And it, there's a whole bunch of factors that can go into that, uh, that I won't necessarily get into, but this year we'll definitely see more athletes not continue with their professional hockey careers, even though they've earned those deals coming right out of U sports. Do you think too, at some point, like we saw it last year in the OHL when they couldn't get things going, we saw a couple of, you know, big names uh, from previous drafts commit to the USHL and, and look to go the NCAA route. It's a little bit different here with players that are going to be coming out of the, out of the CHL to the U sports ranks. Uh, but you know, if they, if they can't get on the ice at some point, like you have to think that they're going to look for alternative routes and then U sports will miss out on some of those, those good CHL players. I don't think they will actually, because you get the CHL players still coming out of the Canadian Hockey League, whether that's the OHL, WHL, or QMJHL, and a lot of them don't necessarily have that other option. They're not necessarily up to the level where they can play professionally just yet. And how much is really making five hundred dollars a week in France going to do for you, even if that much money? So going to school is likely the best option for a lot of these guys. And even though they might not be able to play hockey this season. Next season will at least start. This season started. We played seven games in the OUA, 18 in the AUS. And so they will get a chance to play university hockey. COVID won't be around forever, even though it might seem like it right now. And so over their five years of eligibility, the chances of them playing a full season and competing for a national championship at least three or four times are quite high. And for those coming from the CHL, they get the CHL scholarship package, which is a major benefit four players coming from the top division of junior hockey. They get everything covered for them from all of their tuition to school costs. It's all covered from the CHL. And that is a massive bonus for a lot of families who can't necessarily afford to send their kids to $40,000 U.S. universities or even cheaper Canadian universities. So it's a massive benefit to have the CHL scholarship plan. Uh, they'll be able to come to U Sports and they still will come to U Sports. But I do know that it's getting harder and harder to sell programs because you haven't played a national championship in two years. You can't say, say if you're UNB, you can't say that you've won the 2019 U Sports Championship when you only have one guy left from that roster. It's not exactly impressive that you won a championship three years ago with a roster that was completely different. Yes, there are standards and programs and ways that players will still end up at some of the stronger programs, but it's just getting a lot harder for even the weaker programs, stronger programs to recruit those top players because they don't really have any to sell at this point. You're basically selling a storefront without any products. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's not uh, the CHLers because of, of the package, you, as you mentioned, but you know, for the guys and the girls, especially who don't have a place to play that'll, that'll offer them, uh, you know, a full ride basically after, after they're done playing, like, could you see maybe uh, the NCAA starting to get aggressive with Canadians, even possibly some Div 2 schools, maybe even Div 3 schools, as they uh, as these guys look for places to play? Yes and no. Uh, in the end, I think we will play a season next season, and next season will be 
a more normal season than this season as this season is more normal than last season when there wasn't a season. So I don't necessarily think the NCAA, even Div 3, gets more aggressive because they're already aggressive. They already bring in plenty of Canadians to their leagues because Canadians tend to be good at hockey. And so I don't think it's necessarily going to change too much in the post-secondary college college and university hockey picture. But maybe there's one or two players from, say, the PWHL, the Provincial Women's Hockey League, who decide to take that NCAA route rather than the U Sports route. But a lot of them are already trying to do that. And the same goes for the OJHL uh, in terms of the men's game. Because going the NCAA route, you're getting a lot more value if you can land a scholarship. Because if you're going to a Div 1 school, you're likely going on a pretty significant scholarship. And if you're coming from the OJHL or PWHL into the OUA, well, you're paying for your tuition because there's no scholarship program. So that's already sort of the target. And so there's not necessarily more aggressiveness that has to come from the NCAA to pry players away from potentially playing U Sports. U Sports, unfortunately, at this point, is already the backup option for those leagues. My my question is, I know for football it's different where you can be drafted and then go back to, to U Sports and whatnot, even after attending like uh, rookie camp and such. Can a player leave to go pro and then come back next season if they have eligibility left in U Sports, or is it they sign they're done kind of like the NCAA? So it's a bit in the middle. They sign they're done for now, basically. <laughs> if they sign this year, so we're talking about the the over fifty players who have signed professionally this year, they can't come back and play U Sports in the 2022-23 season, but they could play in the 23-24 season. Basically, they have to redshirt a year. One of the players who signed pro and gone back to Italy is Lucas Chiodo, but Chiodo played a season with the FASA Falcons of the Alps HL and then redshirted last year with the University of Guelph. Of course, there was no season last year, but it still counted as a redshirt year, and then he was able to play this season. Unfortunately, with this season going on pause, he's gone back to the Alps HL and won't come back to U Sports. But there is a chance that some of these players come back and will redshirt, but a very minimal one at that. The OUA, however, is pushing to change that rule, at least for this year, because so many athletes have left. And to get some of them back would be a fantastic benefit to the league in terms of keeping the talent where it was at. But with U, that's a U Sports and national decision, and there's no doubt that Canada West and the AUS are likely against that plan. I'm glad you mentioned Lucas Chiodo, too, just because I, I... – <laughs> He was absolutely he was nails in the uh in the 67s playoff run and I, I miss that guy a lot, honestly. Well, I was playing professional now and uh in the Alps HL you can put together a bit of a living. Playing in Europe, especially in whether it's Italy or or Switzerland, is actually a bit of a pleasant experience. I spoke to Derek Ryan, who's now playing for the the Edmonton Oilers, and I spoke to him when he was with the Calgary Flames, but he played in Switzerland for a couple of years after graduating from the University of Alberta. And they give you everything in terms of living. They pay for uh, a lot of your food. They pay for your phone. They pay for your car, uh, they being the clubs. And yes, the salary might not be there comparable to the NHL, but there's a lot more benefits you're getting other than just cash. Yeah, and I mean, it also helps that he's, you know, Italian as well. Because, I mean, I assume that that was a big part of, you know, he gets to go home, probably has family over there. So he's probably not really worried too much about the cash flow that's coming in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's not too, too worried about it, but it's still a significant consideration because I'm sure that if there was more in the ECHL, he probably would have gone there. 
Possibly. I mean, I know the ECHL is like what five hundred bucks a week or something like that, and it's like part time. Yeah, it can it it can certainly vary. Um, the one that uh, perplexes me a little is when guys go and sign in the SPHL, but at this point, it's just guys just want to play, and that's why they're signing for teams like the Huntsville Havoc. Yeah, I. It's a weird time, that's for sure. And you just again, you just want to play. You'll sign. You can go wherever you could play, right? You'll go wherever you can play at this point. And for a lot of these guys, they have the opportunity to finish their degrees online uh, because schools are generally online for another semester. Uh, And so they're able to finish their degrees, get their degrees and move on to playing, at least getting a taste of professional hockey, even though it might be very minor pro. Yeah, that was another thing. So so if you're a CHL player and you go to the youth sports and you sign a pro deal, you can you still qualify to finish up like your degree under the program or do you then have to pay for however many years left you have so it's actually a bit more on an individual basis um and what situation you're currently in but if you just have a few courses to go the chl will likely cover that uh while you play professional hockey but if you have a few years to go then you've completely lost your chl scholarship and if you ever plan on coming back you won't be uh, on the CHL scholarship plan, you'll be paying paying for university yourself. Oh, so you have a lot. Like you can lose quite a bit if you go pro after like one year. So for sure, not, not an easy choice. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure, and a lot of the players who you see have played one or two years and have now gone pro just to play, they a lot of them are getting effectively swindled by agents. Um, there's been several agents who basically tried to pillage and sabotage several U sports teams. I can't name the teams in particular because I don't have permission to do that, but there's been several teams, especially in Canada Western UA, where agents who aren't necessarily certified by the Professional Hockey Players Association um, will come and just try and take players and sell them on the dream of professional hockey um, because they know that that's the goal, uh, but they don't necessarily set them up for a future past just one year and getting an agent fee and getting them a professional deal. Yeah, those, those agents, uh, those kind of people are the ones that kind of make the sport or sports in general toxic in that sense, where it's like people will do whatever they can to, to mooch off someone who wants to play professional sports. Exactly, and credit to them because they're, they're, they're doing their job and they're making their money, but they are taking advantage of people. So. It's not necessarily good, but some of these players will prove them wrong and stick around in the professional game. That's good. Just one more from me before uh, we get to some Olympic stuff. Um, do you think that, like, obviously the time's kind of running out before the restrictions are lifted and everything, but do you see a, a world where perhaps the government will lift some restrictions and, and allow them to get back on the ice before that, or are they just going to run the clock on this? I think the OUA does not come back if there's still restrictions um, in terms of you having to be on a list to play, um, partly because the, the approach has not been the right one. Uh, the OUA has been approaching this as to prove that they're elite. I don't think no, I don't think anybody is doubting that the OUA is a, an elite level, but if the OUA could prove that bringing about 10,000 people back into highly transmiss- transmissible environments and they can do that safely, then I think they play. But it's an immense number to allow, uh, and there's not necessarily those plans to keep everybody safe. So it's not actually about being
being elite or the OUA is elite because there's not much doubt about that. The question is, how can you get these athletes back into safe environments to play their sport, to train for their sport? And I'm sure a lot of these schools could get their athletes back into safe environments, but there's a lot that couldn't. And when you're bringing roughly 10,000 people back into university sport across Ontario with Omicron, you're bound to have some issues and some outbreaks, uh, which might be just something you have to live with at this point um, to get back to action. But it is a consideration and seeing the tentative plan from the uh, Ontario government throughout this pandemic, and if you can call it a plan, but that's a, a conversation for another day, but just their lightness on everything, they're probably not going to allow that many student athletes to come back. You mentioned safety of players too. And I think that's a perfect segue into the Olympics because I mean, like I, I, I can, can you see this going off with like, there's no way that it's not a, a, an issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And no, the Olympics went off basically without an issue in Tokyo. Yes. It's a very different Olympics with Omicron going around the world but there's also more vaccines. The majority of the athletes are vaccinated. The ones who aren't vaccinated are actually already in Beijing. They're quarantining for three weeks ahead of joining the Beijing Olympic Village, but they're already in the, in the village uh, and sitting in their hotel rooms for three weeks. And there's not many of them. So most of them are vaccinated. Yes, there's different vaccines from around the world, but they all offer, offer some level of protection that's more than being unvaccinated. Uh, the Canadian Olympic team will be fully vaccinated with two doses. Who knows how much that really matters with Omicron going around, but I don't think it will be too much of an effect. The biggest effect is getting there because if you test positive now for COVID, you're probably not going to the Olympics. It's very unlikely that you're going to the Olympics if you test positive now. So the curling team, the speed skating team, the women's hockey team, they're all staying in their own bubbles just trying to stay safe before they submit those last two tests because they take off next week and later this week uh, on two Canadian charter planes heading from Vancouver and Toronto over to Beijing. So will it be an issue at the Olympics? I actually don't think so because everybody who's going to be at the Olympics and entering that closed loop system that they'll have in Beijing will be tested and test negative and for the most part vaccinated several times. Uh, so once the Olympics get there and they're underway, won't be too much of an issue. The big challenge is actually getting it. I like your optimism on this one. Uh, and it allows us to get into uh, the actual games themselves. Like, are there any storylines that are perhaps a little bit less talked about? Um, so, you know, so maybe some uh, smaller sports that aren't as, as, you know, known, I guess, like the hockey teams would be. Um, any stories that really stick out to you that you're really excited to see how they end up? Well, you mentioned the hockey teams, and I think that the men's hockey team is actually one that's going to be very exciting. Look back at when the NHL has gone to the tournament. Yes, there's been some exciting moments, but the 2014 Olympic tournament was boring. Canada won the gold medal game by a landslide over Sweden, and Sweden had a full NHL lineup. Canada was just too good. Now it'll be exciting. The 2018 Olympic tournament where Canada won bronze and got eliminated by Germany in the semifinal. That's the exciting stuff. That's the Olympic spirit where everybody has a bit of a fighting chance in this tournament. So I, I do think that the men's hockey tournament is going to be exciting this year. And you look at the roster that the U.S. has put out, and it's mostly NCAA guys. You're looking at a bit of the future of hockey here. So it's a bit of a replacement for the World Juniors, which, of course, didn't finish. 
And so there's a little more flavor to the men's hockey Olympic tournament this year, but other sports as well. I think one of the ones that's going to be a little less popular this year in Canada is figure skating. Unfortunately, Canada has had immense success in figure skating, whether it's Patrick Chan, Tessa Virtue, or Scott Moyer uh, at the last several Olympic Games, really since coming onto the scene, I guess it was more Torino 2006 and then really exploding at Vancouver 2010. Um, they're not necessarily going to dominate this year. Yes, you still have some notable athletes like Keegan Messing, but Messing isn't exactly a medal favorite, but he's a very strong skater. So there's a chance that he has a performance of a lifetime and wins a medal in Beijing, but the Canadian figure skating team is not exactly going to be the behemoth in the sport like it once was. The sport to get excited about, however, is alpine skiing because Canada for the last several years hasn't had a ton of success in the sport. When Eric Gay and Manny Osborne parodies retired, they weren't at the top of their game. Yes, they were getting podiums in 2017 and 2018, and Canada actually hit the podium with Jan Hudek in Super G in, at the 2018 games. But this Canadian Alpine team is young and they're fast because you look at Ali Nolmeyer, she's from Toronto, and she's been having tremendous success on World Cup this year. She's finished top five several times in the tech events, and she's ready to take on a Beijing course that's going to be very simple in the slalom. And then on the men's side, Jack Crawford has been exceptional. He's from Toronto and skied in Whistler in British Columbia. So he has a connection to basically both sides of Canada other than the East Coast. And so he, and he's been very, skiing very well this season. He has a couple top tens and is right about challenging for podium spots on some of the most difficult courses in the world. So there's a chance that on a Beijing course, that is really a question of how good your wax is that he reaches a medal. So there's a chance that Canada medals in alpine skiing. And that's, I would say, the banner event of the Olympic Games. There's nothing bigger at the Olympic Games than the Olympic downhill. And Canada could very well be standing on the podium there. So it's less about the figure skating this year, more about the alpine. And of course, sliding events like bobsled and skeleton, always a strength for Canada as well. Sorry, I went on a little bit, a little bit long there, but <laughs> very excited about these Olympic Games. And I, I do think Canada will have uh, quite, quite a bit of success. It just might be in sports that they haven't had success in in a little while. No, that's totally fine. We like to to see the passion. Again, we don't really see a lot of the talk from the major media outlets here in Canada for a lot of this these sports. For me, my my two favorite sports outside of hockey for the Winter Olympics is curling and speed skating. Again, not outside of curling, you can kind of follow curling all the time now. Thankfully, speed skating is not really is more of an unknown. What do you think the chances are of Canada getting medaled in curling and speed skating in these uh, upcoming games? Well, the, the curling team is very interesting for these coming games. When you look at the men and women, it's gotten the, the world stage has gotten a lot stronger. But where can, and I don't think for that matter that they'll medal in, in the men's or women's competitions. Yes, Brad Goshu, very talented in the men. He won in 2006 in Torino, but I don't think he medals this time. And it will be a disappointment if Canada doesn't medal in men's and women's curling, but I just can't, I don't see it happening. They didn't have much success at, at uh, the Pyeongchang games back in 2018. And I think the world has still gotten stronger from that point. The part where they will make their money, however, is with John Morris and Rachel Homan in mixed doubles because the world still isn't completely adept at mixed doubles. Canada is behind the world and is really just sending two athletes who are very good curlers uh, and they have curled before in mixed doubles, but they're not necessarily 
training against the best in the world and playing against the best in the world on a regular basis. Still, I do think that their quality will shine through and I would expect Homan and Morris to bring home the gold medal in next doubles curling. And of course, Morris bringing it home with Caitlin Laws back in uh, Pyeongchang 2018. And then in the, the other sports as well, Canada will, will have success uh, in some of the other sports. I forget exactly which one you mentioned was going down the curling road a little bit. Um, so if, if you just want to remind me about speed, speed skating. Yes. Uh, I spoke with the team earlier today. They named the 16 athletes who will be representing Canada at the Olympic games. And I expect this to be an immense success for Canada, whether it's in the long track, those 16 athletes named today in long track speed skating, uh, or in short track and in short track, that team is named tomorrow. Um, they'll bring home a lot of Canadian medals. Kim Buta on the Canadian short track team is an incredible short track speed skater bound to bring home a lot of success and Canada has had success through guys like Charles Amna uh, throughout the, the last over a decade of Olympic games. Um, but in terms of the, the long track team, because that we know the official roster for that, a guy like Ted Jan Blumen, well, he's coming into the Olympics almost as a rookie for the second time because in 2018, he was an Olympic rookie and won a gold medal in the 10,000 meters and a silver medal in the 5,000 meters. This time around, however, he's a dad. He is approaching this in a COVID games and it's just a whole new perspective on life that he's had. And I spoke to him earlier today and he said exactly that, that it's really, he's coming into these games with a, a fresh set of eyes and a fresh set of experiences and a fresh perspective. So to see a reinvigorated Ted John Blumen coming in, that could be a medal or two for Canada. As well, if you look at the ISU World Cup this year, the Canadian women's team pursuit team won all three gold medals at the World Cup races. So they are in form. They've had success against the world's best this season. And led by Ivani Blondin, they're likely going to land on the podium in Beijing. And I would think that it would be gold as well, seeing as they've had so much success. And the Olympics, well, it's a difficult race, is often a little bit easier than some of the World Cups because you're not necessarily going up against the best in the world. I, I'm going to bring it back to hockey here just because I think there's been a there's been a lot of talk about a guy like Mason McTavish going to uh, the Olympics and I don't think at this point I may have missed something but I don't think at this point that we've seen a ruling on the from the CHL at all uh, whether they will allow him or players in general to go uh, have you heard anything about that and what would you peg the odds of McTavish being there I would say next to zero um, based on what Team Canada has shown in the past with their Olympic selection, uh, when the uh, NHLers don't go, yes, we only really have 2018 to reference, but in 2018, they sent a very, very old roster. The average age was about 25 years old. Everybody had played NHL games at some point, and they were all playing in Europe uh, outside of a couple of AHL players. This year, I do think we'll see Owen Power on the team, and that'll be released later this week. And Owen Power, very experienced defenseman, uh, at the NCAA level, and he'll be able to slot in, and he's had success against men in the past. But for a guy like Mason McTavish or even a guy like Shane Wright, I don't see them cracking that NA, that Olympic roster just because they've only regularly played against junior players. And McTavish had some success against the NHL opponents when he was with the Anaheim Ducks. But the Olympics is a different level, and it's an internationalized service. There's not been much experience for McTavish against that level of play. And I don't necessarily see that as the, the right fit. I don't think sending junior players really is the right fit unless they're completely exceptional and blowing the roof off their respective league. And I don't think that's McTavish. And 
for that matter. I don't think that's Shane Wright this year, unfortunately. See, I don't, I thought... I don't, yeah, you might have some more Olympic stuff, but I, I do have a, I guess, kind of a follow-up to that. Um, like, I can't imagine that the Bulldogs would have made the trade that they did to send away all the assets they did if they knew that there was a chance that McTavish would be going to the Olympics uh, and God forbid he were to get injured there, it'd be a catastrophe for them. So like part of me is like, there's just no chance for, for so many reasons. Yeah. There, there's so many reasons that point against McTavish going to the Olympic games. Uh, Canada has probably better options to send to the Olympic games. The Hamilton Bulldogs just basically mortgaged their future in terms of bringing on Mason McTavish to take a run at the OHL uh, championship this year. So there's just so many reasons that point to McTavish not wearing the Maple Leaf in Beijing um, as much as it would be cool to see one of the top prospects in the NHL uh, wearing um, the Canadian Maple Leaf. But I don't think the Canadians will go down the prospect route as much as the Americans did. See, I'm trying to confuse because I thought, I mean, I know I saw, I think it was like Darian Drager or someone who said that if you're not like, NHL players weren't weren't allowed. That also included e, ECL players or ELC players who were playing in junior. I don't know if that's actually confirmed, but from my understanding, anyone who had an, who has an NHL level NHL registered contract isn't eligible to go. So that would mean McTavish wouldn't even be eligible to go because I know. Oh, it was Chris Johnson after they announced like the fifty. Uh, the 50 man like long list. And there were, you know, uh, Mason McTavish and a couple of other CHL players. And like, these guys have NHL contracts. They're not eligible to go. So I don't know if that was confirmed or not, but I remember seeing that pop up when they announced the long list after the NHL pulled out. At this point, nothing's confirmed in terms of men's hockey. It's all just been reporting up to this point, whether that's Eric Stahl or Owen power, it's all just reporting up to this point and nobody's actually received a formal invitation to Team Canada. But the, it's a lot longer than just uh, 270 characters on Twitter uh, in terms of whether CHL players can go. Um, there's a lot of minutia in the CHL-NHL agreements, uh, as well as the effective ban on NHL players on going to the Olympics, because that's basically what the IHF has done at this point, uh, is they're not allowing any NHL players to go, but they haven't really clarified exactly what that means. Um, and so, well, an AHL player on an NHL contract can't go. Uh, and that was included in the uh, IHF rules against the NHL going. Um, it didn't include CHL players. So there's a chance, but it might be against the rules. Nobody really knows at this point. Yeah. Fluid situation, just like everything else in the world right now. Exactly. But it will be sorted out very soon because the national sport organizations, whether that's Hockey Canada or Biathlon Canada, have to submit their team nominations to the Canadian Olympic Committee by Wednesday at 11.59 Eastern. Cool. So we'll have, we'll actually have an effect, because I haven't seen anything about when the roster was going to be announced outside of later this week. So that means we should see it probably like Thursday. We should see it probably Thursday. Um, when they do announce, uh, when they do submit that roster to the COC, you'll see a lot more reports come out because then they'll have uh, a pretty good idea of what that roster is, but players will still have to accept the invitation formally. Awesome. I mean, that, that's fantastic to know. We get a little bit more insight on stuff that we don't generally see from, you know, in the public perception. Uh, I know Frankie wanted to ask some uh, OHL related questions. So I think he's waiting patiently for us to wrap up 
the Olympic talk to, to begin on that because you cover the, the front necks uh, of the OHL, and I know Frankie's all about the 67, so I'm going to let Frankie take this over. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anybody to have these conversations with a lot of times, but, um, you know, we just get through the trade deadline. Hamilton makes the big move for McTavish, and uh, Kingston was relatively quieter than uh, Alec Belanger. I think they made they made a couple of moves earlier in the season, but, um, you know, Mississauga's up there as well. North Bay uh, is, is still up at the top there. How do you foresee the rest of the season going, particularly in the Eastern Conference, where I think right down to seed number 10 right now, there's an argument to be made for them getting hot and going on a run. Yeah, it's certainly a a bit of an odd season because in Kingston, we've only played three or four games since uh, I think it's December 12th when the OHL paused for a little while and then things came back and Kingston continuously had games postponed. It's been a tough time for the Kingston Frontenacs and that means that they have some games in hand. But the question is, can you win those games in hand? And so far, it's been about 50%. A tough loss to, to Hamilton yesterday, and Hamilton has bulked up at the trade deadline, bringing in guys like McTavish. And Kingston is adjusting to coming back from a lot of uh, COVID protocol, uh, as well as bringing in a guy like Zade Wisdom, who had so much promise playing on line with Martin Kromiak and Shane Wright back in 2019-20 in Shane Wright's rookie year. And just like that, Shane Wright is probably in his final year in the OHL at this point, heading into the NHL draft season. But Zade Wisdom comes back into the lineup, playing with Chromiak and Wright again. And once that line gets clicking, they were one of the best lines in the OHL in 2019-20. There's no reason they can't do that again. But it's just about getting that team clicking and getting back into a bit of a regular playing rhythm because they haven't played a lot of games. Uh, and getting back into that rhythm will be important for Kingston. It's an incredibly close division. Um, and I know that the Frontenacs really have a determination and goal of winning an OHL championship this year. Do you, like, I think there was a, a, some people around the league may have been expecting to see a name like uh, Thibodeau or Soto or Ludwinski get moved at the deadline to try to bulk up a little bit and, and, you know, bring in a, a bigger name player. Um, one, are you, are you shocked that that didn't happen? Uh, and two, do you think that, you know, the way it stands right now, that the front knacks are good enough to, to go toe-to-toe with anybody in the East? I, I'm not surprised that it didn't happen. I think the front knacks are a very strong team that at some games have had just a bit of bad luck. A guy like Matthew Soto or Paul Ledwinski, you're going to find success with them later down the line, and they're already contributing to the lineup as well and contributing to the scoring. Paul Ledwinski has launched himself up the North American Central Scouting rankings heading into this draft year and he's been exceptional as, as an OH, a second year OHL rookie one of those weird players who didn't get to play their their season back in 2020 2021 but he's been v- fantastic for the Kingston Frontenacs this year and I do think that Kingston is only really getting better from this point once they get a bit more regular play and once they get a little more used to playing with some of the players that have come back from injury as well as Alec Belanger I think that they can go head to head with anybody in the east and maybe make a run towards an OHL championship. I know that's been the goal right since the first game. My favorite storyline unquestionably on Kingston this year has been uh, Senators prospect, Shane, uh, Levi Mer- or Levy Marilinen. Um, I think he came into the year and, you know, the first couple of times I saw him, I wasn't, I wasn't exceptionally impressed. Uh, but, you know, as, as time has gone by, he's, he's kind of, he's figured it out a little bit. I mean, I, th- I think it was the Sudbury game uh, this weekend. He got, 
he got beat a bunch, uh, but I don't think the, the goals that went in were necessarily his fault. Um, what have you seen from him that should have Senators fans and, and Frontenacs fans both very excited? I think he's a strong young goaltender who has a lot of promise. Yes, he's taken a bit of an adjustment to the Ontario Hockey League, but everybody does in their first season uh, in the OHL. And he impressed at the few games that they played at the World Juniors before that was canned. So I do think that leaving me line in is a very promising goaltending prospect, both for the rest of the season for the Kingston Frontenacs uh, and moving ahead in the Ottawa Senators organization. We can touch on the Western. I don't know how familiar you are with the West this year. Uh, I know in Ottawa, we haven't seen a single game against a Western team and we won't for the rest of the season. Um, have you been paying attention to the West? And if so, uh, who are your favorites out of there? Uh, I haven't really been paying attention to the West, but an easy answer is always the London Knights. They're always exceptionally strong and they improved at the deadline as well. So I would think that they would come out, but then again, uh, I haven't kept tabs too closely on, on the, uh, the OHL Western Conference. Shane, do you have anything to toss in there? No, oh, he's muted. Amateur hour, Shane. I, hey, new mic. I'm still getting used to it. Give me a break. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I haven't watched as much OHL as I, I'd want to, just with how work and, and stuff has gone. But I'm still, like, I look back on the like, last 24 months, basically, of, of OHL hockey and how... COVID has really impacted the growth of the game, at least in Ottawa. It seems like the last two years with the 67s, you really started to see uh, an increase in fan and, and people actually caring about the team again. I'm just hoping that the OHL can continue that once things get back to normal and they can use, they can get over the the COVID hump that in my opinion has kind of hurt them more than other, other leagues. Yeah, I, I think they, they will as well because the OHL has been a strong presence in Ontario for several years uh, through generations. So I do think that will come back, not to the extent that it once was when you didn't have access to watching the NHL on your TV every single night, but the OHL still has an important place in communities around Ontario, and I think it'll get back to that point. Um, but like anything, people aren't necessarily safe, uh, don't think they're safe going to uh, crowded events again. Um, right now, they can't go to OHL games. And so it's going to take a while, but I do think that the OHL will come back to the position it was pre-pandemic. I will say the best thing they did, though, is the CHL TV. TV. I think that's the best thing I they did. So. Um, as, a, as a Bell customer, you weren't there wasn't really a way to watch like CHL games. If it wasn't on Sportsnet, you couldn't get the OHL action pack. Uh, so for them to come out with a streaming service, probably the best thing they could do. Yeah, I think that's uh, the best thing that they could do as well because there's not – they had a streaming service before and they had one in the Western Western Hockey League as well, um, but it was not exactly like a strong streaming service and not easy to use, um, whereas this year, OHL Live and the CHL TV uh, is exceptionally easy to use, and when you want to watch a game, all it is is paying for it, um, which is a step uh, that you have to take. It's not coming just – on your regular cable if you're out of market, uh, but it, it is at least accessible. And we've seen so many of these over the top streaming services really rise to prominence in the sports market. I mean, for me to pay, I think I, I think I paid 170 something bucks for me to get all every single game from all 60 teams uh, minus, you know, a couple that for whatever reason aren't broadcasted, but like I'm, I'm loving it. Cause I can just flip on the TV one night 
go watch Connor Bedard play, and then I can flip over and watch Matthew Savoy play. And it's been I'm loving it. It's so much. There's so much great hockey out there to watch. Yeah, there's a lot of great hockey in the CHL, and then you, I I know you guys don't forget about it, but you guys can't forget about the uh, the OUA as well. And the OUA offers a very similar streaming platform, and it's free. And a lot of the guys played on uh, the CHL streaming platform before that. Yeah, I mean, I I use the the OUA TV for for the football this year, so it's definitely seeing the streaming services up and running, and it's actually quality streaming services, and doesn't seem like you're getting a sketchy feed that that's the the big thing right you want a secure feed and consistent feed which the OUA has been able to deliver and Canada West is the same and AUS had the same thing so hopefully just a matter of people understanding that like hey it's out there yeah you may have to look for it a little bit but it's accessible and it's relatively inexpensive to to watch yeah relative relatively the, the strong word there because when you add everything up it gets a lot more expensive than if you were just to get uh, what was once a premium cable subscription. Um, because if you're wanting to watch the English Premier League and the Canadian Premier League and the NHL and U Sports and the CHL, you're paying hundreds of dollars to do that. Yeah. and But usually it's like a yearly thing, right? Like it's like 200 bucks, you get the full season plus the playoffs for, for NHL Live. I'm not sure how the CHL one works completely. I know Frankie has it. Uh, but when I was looking at it, you basically got the full year for like a hundred and some dollars. So you pay a lump sum, but I mean, if you're watching it consistently, it's worth the money. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably worth the money as well uh, if you're watching consistently, but it's still a lot of money for a lot of people. Especially right now. Um, but I don't think, I think that's all. I don't think Frankie has anything else to say. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm all good. You got everything. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Ben, for, for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure. And hopefully, I know you're going to be covering the Olympics. Are you going to be in Beijing or are you, are you going to be covering it from from your home? Uh, I'll, I'll be covering it uh, from the uh, fantastic metropolis of my apartment in downtown Toronto. Uh, so it won't be in Beijing. Uh, but when I was covering the games in Tokyo, I called it Tokyo Ronto. So maybe something like Beijing Onto. Uh, I'll have to think of something a little bit better because I will be living uh, a reverse life. It's 13 hours ahead and I'll be living on Beijing time. Uh, so it'll certainly be interesting um, living basically separated from the world that I'm actually li physically living in. Um, but it'll be a fun time and a, a thrilling few, uh, few weeks from February 4th to February 20th. I was going to say Toronto basically is Beijing. If you really think, if you really stretch it a little bit, it, it's basically Beijing. If you really stretch it, uh, as much as uh, a piece of pasta is a bagel. Um, that's uh, about as much you, you can stretch it. Well, a ravioli shaped like a bagel, kind of. You can imagine. Toronto and Beijing, same thing. Uh, either way, I'll be covering the Beijing Olympics. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get you on uh, during the Olympics. Give us uh, what's going on. Give us a bit more of an in-depth analysis on certain sports. Um, I know if you're going to be living in Beijing time, it's gonna, probably going to be a little bit difficult. Um, but again, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure having you, and uh, the insight was fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me, and it's uh, always happy to come on and talk about university sport and really any sport that's out there. So thanks so much. No problem, and uh, enjoy your time uh, covering Beijing, and hopefully you uh, you get to sleep a little bit longer than just a couple of hours every day while you're covering it. I hope so. Uh, when I was doing Tokyo stuff, it was almost about 
14, 15 hours a day. So uh, of work. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see how long Beijing is um, a little more intensive. I'll be going on it. So it'll, it'll be an experience on, uh, on the Beijing 2022 Olympics, but I'm, I'm excited. Uh, it's, it's going to be electric. All right. uh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for having me guys. Right. We appreciate it. Cheers. Uh, welcome back guys. We got uh, <laughs> new, uh, newly signed uh, Calgary Stampeders offensive lineman, Derek Dennis joining us for uh, feels like the hundredth time on the show since we started it up. Um, it's a pleasure having you on again. It's been a while. Uh, you know, you're, you're finally back in the league. You're out of Edmonton. Uh, walk us through that like week or a week and a half between being released and how things got in with uh, with Calgary. Uh, things happened actually pretty quick. So um, I uh, I guess Edmonton hired a new staff. Maybe like three, four days later, I was notified that I was going to be let go from my deal. And then um, I called uh, Pat Delmonico. I have a great relationship with him. And um, just reached out to him, let him know, like, hey, talk to Huff, see if there's any interest with me possibly coming back. There is. Um, you know, just give me a call, have a conversation. And, uh, you know, Huff reached out to me the very next day. Um, maybe went back and forth via phone and text for like maybe 24 hours if that and pretty much kind of hashed out a way to get a deal done and then that's kind of how it transpired so everything kind of happened in less than maybe four or five days was there like obviously you're familiar with Calgary and and the organization as a whole was there ever a thought that you know you would want to go anywhere else or was Calgary always that number one and that was the destination for you I mean, at the end of the day, it's business, right? So I was always open to other opportunities. But, I mean, Calgary is an easy decision, right? It's the place I'm most well-known at. It's the place I've had my most success. I know the system. I know the coaches. I know the city. I know the environment, right? So it's pretty much where I built my CFL career, right? So in my mind, it's going, it seems like for the last three years, people have been trying to end my career for me as opposed to letting me end it myself. So it's like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you're going to keep trying to put me on my last legs. Why don't I go back to the place where I know, I know how to, how to get it done. Right. And, um, just being, having an opportunity to go other places and learn other systems and being around other coaches, it's, it's really no experience like being in Calgary. So it was easy decision to kind of go back. Cause I know at least, uh, the biggest thing is having that opportunity to compete for championships. And that's, that's really what I care about. Yeah. You were part of the, the 2018 team. Shane and I have talked to one. <laughs> uh, yeah, am I, am I really far behind again? I don't know. It seems like every time we talk, we always have a technical difficulty in one part of our episode. It's just unavoidable at this point. Uh, and so we're actually doing like in, like in-person stuff whenever that happens. Um, but you're part of the 2018 team. Uh, you got it done. And I mean, you, you went to Saskatchewan between your two other Calgary stints. You went to Edmonton. Is it safe to say that like it's Calgary or nowhere at this point where you're, you're going to play your, the rest of your CFL career in Calgary? Or do you see like, I might, I might, cause you're only signed a one year deal, right? At least I believe so. Yeah. I only signed a one year. I mean, at this point, um, it's not a given that I'll end my career at Calgary, but um, if you look at my resume, you know, a, a 74 game CFL starter, but 50, you know, 56 or 58 of them is played in Calgary. Pretty much the majority of my career has been in Calgary, right? That's where I've built my uh, resume. 
and I feel like if my end goal is essentially to be a Hall of Famer, right, why not do it in the place that I started it, right? So it just kind of just makes it look better. Um, if I'm going to be an all-time great, you know, it's always best to be an all-time great in one place as opposed to many places, right? So um, that's pretty much my viewpoint, right? I, I, if I can stay at Calgary in my career in Calgary, hey, that's that's the end, end of, that's a great ending to the fairytale story. Um, but again, we don't know how it plays out right now. It's just 2022, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was part of your your spaces on Twitter earlier, uh, on recording on Monday night. A lot of it, uh, very interesting. If you have not checked it out yet, definitely do. I think you you said you're planning to do it like a weekly thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, I'm never sure when I do things like that. What's the reception I'm going to get? But I seem to feel like I have a really good following on social media. And I like to think I'm an intelligent guy, right? And one thing about football players is that we do always, always get the knock of just being, you know, quote-unquote dumb athletes, right? Guys who just all they care about is playing football and don't want to understand the business of it or don't want to understand um, the optics or other things around it, right? And I'm a big, firm believer because I have a, a, a journalistic background of wanting to show that I know the business, I know how to handle it, Sorry, this is a little cameo from my daughter. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I like to be in tune with everything outside of just being a player, right? So um, that's really what the spaces is for. It's an opportunity to be able to show people um, another side of me outside of just being a player. And then also to kind of give some information on some of these hot topics that I always talked about every offseason in the CFL, right? Who better to give those perspectives than somebody who actually plays the game for a living and it gets a chance to kind of see things behind the veil as opposed to just re normal reporters and fans. The people who watch our YouTube uh, side of this are going to have a absolutely <laughs> they're going to have a laugh at this because I'm I am I guess. Should, should um, I grab uh, Should I grab Kaylee? <laughs> I don't know. She might. Uh, I mean. Um, Anyway, back on track. Um, Shane and I have talked a little bit about uh, just the situation overall in Calgary with, with Jake Mayer and Bo Levi and um, at seeing both of them back now. Does that, did that do anything for you when it, it came to ultimately picking a place or, or did that matter to you? I want to say it did anything for me. I, I, I mean, I'm a guy who has firm beliefs in his ability. So I feel like I can play with anybody, but my most the, the quarterback I've had the most success with is Bo, right? Bo's my guy. Me and him have a great relationship. We have a great understanding of how to play together. And, and and especially in the game of football, you want to play with the guys that you know that you're comfortable with, the guys that you can succeed with, right? And I know me and him is kind of in a similar situation, even though our situations are different where he played last season and I didn't. But I feel like we're both going into the year that we got something to prove, right? So I feel like when you put a certain mindset of players in a locker room, it breeds success, right? And I think right now what we're trying to build in Calgary is essentially what we've always had for the last 10 years, what people know, right? You got a core group of guys who knows the system, knows how to play together, know how to succeed together, and we can incorporate other bodies into the machine to get it, keep it well oiled and moving, right? Um, and again, Stampeders are the New England Patriots of the North, right? There's a great culture staff. It's a great culture. It's a great city to play in. It's a great team to be a part of. And when you got – when you put that together – Again, like I said, it's a recipe for championships, and that's really what the end goal is. So um, I'm excited. I don't know Jake. Um, I got to watch him from afar this past season, but he looks like a solid dude. 
Um, he seemed to be really excited. You know, he reached out to me when I signed. He's like, hey, man, you know, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to work with you. Um, I forget, you know, sometimes I forget how old I am and how much time I played. It didn't dawn on me that a lot of these guys that are on the team, they've been watching me on film all season trying to learn the playbook, right? Um, like, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I'm probably covered, I'm plastered all over that teach tape, right? So those guys probably knew who I was before I even knew who they were, right? So for them to get a chance to kind of see somebody who's do it live in person, get a chance to kind of be a veteran presence on a team, somebody that can lead, um, not just from a play standpoint, but also from a vocal standpoint of being an older guy in the locker room and being a leader and helping the, helping the culture get um, reacclimated on a, on a quicker pace. I'm just looking forward to the opportunity. The Stampeders, I mean, like we, we talk about them as, and you mentioned New England Patriots of the North, by the way, I have to throw it there. The New England Patriots of the North minus the 30-point thrashings the Buffalo Bills put on them. I uh, have to mention one that. Game. Bills. It was one game. It doesn't matter. one game. You can't, you can't, you can't, one game does not erase the last 15, 20 years, okay? Exactly. For sure. But it did in my head. And that's all. Well, well, that's because you're a Bills fan and you're delusional. Go Bills. Um, But like in the last couple of years, it almost seems like we've seen the Winnipeg Blue Bombers come up and and steal the the crown of the the team to beat in the West. Um, Obviously, Bo is still there. Now you're back. How do you how do you feel about the the Stampeders? I mean, obviously you don't know what the team's gonna look like yet, um, but how competitive do you think that team is gonna be compared to Winnipeg when you get back on the field? I think we'll be very competitive. Um, you just gotta look at the core, right? It's Bo. Um, you're bringing me back into the fold. You got Reggie. You got Trey Robinson. Um, you know, hopefully they get KJ resigned. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe bring Kadeem back. Um, but a guy like Rock Thomas, who showed you some flashes last season, um, Malik Henry looks like he's, he's on a nice young piece. Um, you got, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the other free agents. You know, you got guys like a Marquise Ambrose who you hope to come back, you know, but there's pieces in place. Right. And knowing Calgary, has got about two, two to six guys stashed on a practice squad that nobody knows about that are just waiting for the opportunity to break out. Right. And that's just the culture, right? They spent a year on practice squad, learning the Canadian game, learning the Stampeders playbook, and Dickie and them getting those guys ready to be able to unleash them unexpectedly, right? But no one knows who those guys are, right? Because they're essentially no one pays attention to the practice squad, right? That, But that's the beautiful thing about the Calgary culture is that you have guys in the wings that's waiting to kind of fill in in those positions, right? You just re-signed Mike Rose, Derek Wigan. So you got two veteran presence uh, on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, you got Flo. Uh, Arumalade coming back, the guy who has great potential. He just had to deal with a little bit of injury bug, but if that's behind him, you, you know, I can't wait to people see what he can do. Um, so you got pieces in place, right? And again, um, you got coaches who have been there a long time, right? Pat Delmonico's been there for a decade. Dickey's been there for a decade. Monson's been in the system for a long time. Um, you got probably the best special teams coach in the league in Mark Killam, who always gets, you know, special teams guys ready. So, it's, it's a good recipe, right, in order to, in order to um, you know, to compete, right? And that's the, really the basis is just finding out what type of team we're going to be to be able to compete in camp and understand what our roles are going to be moving into the season. That team, too, like you just – their defensive line and offensive line have been part of the, like the biggest reason that they've gone to the Great Cup two years in a row. They've won it two years in a row. Um, and you're going to be kind of thrown into the fire going up against, you know, guys like Willie Jefferson and, and Jackson Jeffcoat. Like – Obviously, you you haven't played a game in in a, in about a year now, 
but to you, how, how do you feel that you'll be able to step on and take on those guys right away? Easy peasy. I'm not worried about them. I'm going to be honest with you. Even when I was watching it from the sidelines, I'm going, I could walk off the street right now without working out for two weeks and still play better than some of those guys that was playing last year. So, um, And that's not to be arrogant, man. That's just me. That's my demeanor. That's how I think. But I'm not really, I'm not really worried about those guys. But honestly, if anything, um, it may be the other way around, right? Because guys are going to go into the season going, hey, he hasn't played in a while, right? He's probably not the same guy he is. And then when they get shocked and go, he might be better than what he was before. That's that's the part that I'm that I'm I'm living for. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Those guys, we're all competitors. We love to compete, and they know that. Um, I'm one of those guys. When you play against me, you got to bring your A game, right? And I and I already know what's stacked behind me, right? I'm going to the season knowing that people are doubting me. I'm going to the season knowing that people want a reason to talk bad about me. They want a reason to say, hey, this guy's fell off. I don't know why he brought him back. He's been out for a year or two years or whatever they want to say, right? I already know that's what I'm going up against. So if I know that already, I would be, I would have to really not have a pulse to go into the season not prepared to be able to go out there and excel and do what I'm supposed to do, right? It's just, it's just common sense, right? If you know people are already doubting you or already I mean come on you guys follow me on Twitter you see how people talk about me whether I'm playing or not playing so I have no choice but to go out here and perform well right so that's pretty much my mindset man I'm not really worried about going Willie's my guy he's a great player I'm not worried about him Jackson Jeffco is a great player I'm not worried about him Jagarra Davis great player not worried about him outside of maybe those three guys I mean who else Sean Lemon great player that's my boy not worried about him that's just that's just my mindset like I'm this, this, this not a, now that Charleston's Charleston's probably the best guy that I probably had to face in the league or deal with. And who knows what's going on with Charleston, right? So, I mean, if, if Superman ain't playing, then ain't no kryptonite out there for me. So I'm, I'm, that's pretty much my mindset, man. And for what it's worth, too, I don't think that's necessarily arrogant to suggest that you could have played better than a lot of the guys out there. Just because, like, I think, what, Shane, Ottawa lost three yes. offensive linemen before the season – I think Edmonton lost you and and Sir Vincent Rogers and Jacob Ruby was was suspe- like there was at least two or three teams worth of starting caliber offense linemen who were not in the league last year and there was a lot of guys who wouldn't have had jobs if that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, so. like last year, even in Ottawa, I mean, when you when you're when you're tackle, you're starting tackle in 2019 ends up being your starting center in 2021 and you run out your left side are two rookies who have never played a game in the CFL. It's a recipe for disaster. And they had, they had one combination that was repeated. I think they had it through 14 games. I think they had 13 different offensive line combinations. Yeah. Something like that. that. Like, yeah, they had, I think one week four and five, they had the same starting five, but every other week it was a different, combination or a different setup of starting five. Yeah, young man, like you got to think about it. If you watch how some of these offensive lines looked last season, the common denominator, the best offensive line was a team that had the most veteran presence and the most continuity. And it was Winnipeg, right? Guys who have been playing together for years, have a lot of CFL games under their belt, know how to play together. Even if there was a, a guy who was a new starter and who's that, um, Dejarle, who's actually getting a lot of looks from the, from the NFL now, right? But they had the pieces in place, right? Those are guys who have been waiting in the rings, ready to move up, ready to play, right? As opposed to you look like a team 
like Hamilton or Ottawa, who had to play with a lot of first-time CFLers. And if anybody who's ever played offensive line, it's a position where you can't just throw guys out there and think they're going to be able to just plug and play. Like, it just doesn't work on offensive line. You need good players. You need good continuity. You need good chemistry. You need good camaraderie. You need all that, right? It's going to be very – no. I've never seen a team take five different offensive linemen, put them out there, and think that – the offense was going to move well, right? And again, in my mindset, offensive line is the heartbeat of an offense, right? If you don't have a good offensive line, it doesn't matter how good your receivers or your quarterback is, you don't have a good offense. Yeah. And, like, I think one of the things that people, like, the offense last year was down, unquestionably, right? But I think what we was kind of overlooked was the off- like the offensive line across the league was not good other than Winnipeg. And conveniently, Winnipeg was the one team that, scored at a clip that was similar to what we would have seen in 2019 and 2018. Uh, you know, we like Trevor Harris was on the ground 90% of the year. Uh, Ottawa's like Ottawa's quarterbacks were running for their life and it didn't help that Matt Nichols shoulder was destroyed. And, but when Caleb Evans, Caleb Evans had that one game and you were saying that it was, you know, it's hard to, to stop him when he's a rookie, but that was also the only game that he got any kind of protection on the offensive line. And he looked really good. Like you watch the NFL, typically the offensive line play is pretty solid, it, other than you know a couple of teams. But those are the bad. It's not. It's not that good. <laughs> yeah, here's my thing. Here's my thing. It's I better than the CFL. I know offensive line play, and even in the NFL, it's not that great. The thing is that everything in the NFL happens a lot faster, right? So you can mask, you can mask bad offensive line play in the NFL with a you know quick throws. A lot of, you know what I'm saying? Smaller field, right? It's easy to look at the Kansas City. Look at Kansas City finally when they started to kind of get it figured out, give the offensive line a chance to kind of gel and get comfortable, right? A lot of bubble screens, a lot of, you know, quick plays, a lot of misdirection, you know, stuff that's kind of keeping a defense guessing where they can't play north and south, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hate when people say offensive line in, in, in the NFL look like line play looks better because to be honest, a lot of the game does match some of the deficiencies in player um, ability. and But the CFL is one of those games and leagues where you can't hide bad players. If you can't play and they put you on the field, you're going to find out very quickly. Like you, it's, a, it's, a, it's easily visible. It's glaring, right? Um, so my thing is, too, like you got a smaller league, right? It's a smaller pool of players to deal with. You know what I'm saying? You don't have the size – especially now with the pandemic, NFL has even bigger rosters to even mess with, right? They can have 20, 20, 25 guys on their practice squad. They can have, you know, five or six linemen that's not starting, right? Because I think you get nine or ten active roster linemen, right? So um, the, the, the window for development is a little different in the NFL as opposed to the CFL because – when you're bringing American guys up to the CFL, they got to essentially kind of learn, got to learn to play different than what they've been playing their whole life, right? That yard off the ball is a big difference, right? Because it forces you to play a lot slower, right? And when you have to play a lot slower, then your technique becomes more important. And if you don't have great technique, it's going to be clearing this deck, this broad deck. So um, that's that's why probably you probably think it looks a little different, right? It's just because the deficiencies are just a little more glaring in the CFL because the, the way the game is played and the rules of the game 
kind of makes it stick out like a sore thumb more as opposed to the NFL where a guy can get beat and you wouldn't know because the ball's already gone, right? Ball's gone. It's down the field. Camera already panned away. You didn't see him get ran over by the D lineman. You know, it's, it's already, it's already panned out. Right. So, um, that's, that's, that's the difference. So, um, what, what I mean, that's why I said, like, in my honest opinion, um, the biggest thing for me is not going to be whether I can do it from a mental standpoint. It's going to be whether I can do it from a physical standpoint. And they're going to talk about my age. They're going to talk about my time away and use those as reasons why they think I'm not going to be able to make that adjustment. Right. But I'm a football player, man. I'm a competitor. I have supreme confidence in myself. If, if, if I really had any doubt that I couldn't do it, I wouldn't do it at all. So that's, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I mean, you have to think you're the best player on the field, yeah, or you're not going to be the best player on the field. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I'm um, pretty much. That's 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 the name of the game, man. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. I'm looking forward to competing. I, I've talked to a lot of guys. I know a lot of guys are happy that I'm back and that they get a chance to play against me. Um, you know, I'm great friends with with AC Leonard, right? Those guys are the, those guys take pride in being able to go against guys who they consider is the best, right? Because that's how they gauge themselves on their ability and how good they are, right? If I can, I, I don't, I can't tell, call myself the best unless I can beat the best, right? Well, if you don't have the best to go against, then it just, you know, just kind of just, just. I mean, think about it. Watch if you watch AC play last year, what was he doing? Speed, speed rushing past everybody. Dudes wasn't even getting out their stance, wasn't getting off the ball. Didn't know how to set. Didn't know angles. Wasn't sure. How to, what didn't know how to match up. They you know mix up their sets. Probably wasn't sure about what they was watching on film. You know maybe wasn't getting the looks in practice and wasn't prepared for the speed that they were gonna face. Right. That's things that you don't have to worry about with me. That, that I, I can handle those things. So, um, <clears throat> that's that's pretty much it, man. I, I do think. Um, but offensive line as a whole, I think the development especially in younger generations, it's not the same as it used to be, right? I feel like the more years that pass, the, the offensive line play is getting real um, it's getting real diluted, and it's getting further away from essentially teaching the position on how it should be played, right? Because now you're getting a lot of these offenses who are, you know, you, it's kind of like what Steph Curry did to basketball, right? No one wanted to shoot the three-pointer until Steph Curry started chucking him up all over the place. Now nobody wants to even go, you know what I'm saying? You lost post players, right? Post players used to be the essence of basketball in the 90s and early 2000s. Now post players are pretty much rebounding defense. You know, you ain't, you're not getting Shaqs anymore. You're not getting Akeem Olajuwon. You're not getting David Robinson. You're not getting Tim Duncans anymore. You're not getting Dirk Nowitzki's. Now you're getting more of the, you know, the John Morant's. The you know the, the guys who the perimeter players right because that's essentially what the game is going to so um, it's that's what I feel like was with offensive line play I mean I feel like a lot of these offense especially in college they're getting so gimmicky and everything's about having athletes and speed and putting them in space that offensive line is just getting lost in the sauce in the sense of teachings right guys are not being taught on how to play what I like to call you know I came up in the old basically the Bill Parcells tree line right. Bill Parcells was the was the was the king of North and South football, right? I'm gonna get some some dogs that's gonna run up your run run it down your throat, and I dare you to stop it type of thing, right? We're getting away from that. Now we're getting to the, the Kansas City type of offenses where we want athletes and we're gonna throw it to space, and we just want guys that's able to run sideline to sideline back and forth all day, right? A lot of linemen in the NFL don't weigh more than three ten, three fifteen, right? When I was coming up, we used to have I used to look up to uh, old Saints guard. Jari Evans and uh, Carl Nix. Carl Nix was 360 pounds of, of monster, right? 
We're talking about the, the Larry Johnsons, right? Dallas Cowboy days. Guys who were just animals, able to run in space, but they also were smash mouth, north and south. You know what I'm saying? The big nasty linemen, the neck collars, elbow, the big elbow padded sleeves, big Newman gloves. Like, you don't have those type of guys anymore, right? So, um, everything is all kind of pretty and, you know, north sideline to sideline and sweeps and outside zones and, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's running traps no more. Nobody's running gap schemes as much anymore. Like it's becoming kind of a lost art. So um I, I'm actually I'm actually about to get into starting um, my own company for training offensive linemen. And essentially what I'm gonna do is prepare offensive linemen to be kind of the new age linemen, but a little bit of the old school too, right? Because I feel like if you can master both, you're kind of uh, upper echelon linemen today, right? Think about a guy like Trent Williams who you watch who is a nice mix of both, right? Some of the stuff may be unorthodox, but at the end of the day, what is he trying to do? He's trying to manhandle people. He's trying to throw dudes around. He's trying to, you know what I'm saying, however he can get it done and get done. At the end of the day, the end objective is to get dudes on the ground, right? I feel like now it's kind of getting away from that. And offensive line kind of gets lost as a position to where we just need to have five guys who are athletic enough up to just move sideline, 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 right? So um, I think I think that's what the, the evolution of the game needs to, needs to get back to to what it's best known for, right? I think through with no training camp or with a two week training camp, no preseason and no padded practices. I think while I was at Red Blacks training camp, it was maybe five or six days where they had pads on, and then the rest of the season they had nothing. They couldn't work on much. So, do you think that offensive line play in general is going to be better with uh, with a preseason and a, and a longer training camp and rookie camp and, you know, all the other various things that are going to be or should be back this year? All right, here's my tidbit on that. It's a double-edged sword, right? Because, again, everything is about preserving guys, right? You don't want to beat them up too much before they get to a game, right? Because what most people don't realize is a football game is like being in 10 car crashes in a in a two in a four-hour span, three, four-hour span, right? So... If you can mitigate some of that wear and tear on on people's body, because okay, that's that's the the point they want to get to, right? So, um, I don't feel like pads essentially is the decline of offensive line play. I feel like proper technique being taught is the decline. So, my thing is, yeah, it helps to get the feel of pads, but. If you don't know how to punch, you don't know where to put your hands, you don't know how to properly hold your position, you don't know how to bend your knees, you don't know how to play with power, play with your base, well, you just hitting people in pads is not going to teach you that. That's coaching. So I think with the coaches cap and them, them not being able to hire quality coaches to coach the position, I think that's more of the downfall than it's an easy answer to say, oh, because this guy's not in pads, that's why they're not getting better. No. Because if you're a football coach, you should know how to teach someone how to do what they need to do without pads, right? Again, how they judge you is on in underwear and shorts, right? They don't make you wear pads at the combine. I'm a, outside the CFL combine, but in the NFL, you're not wearing pads to show that you can play the game of football. What are you doing? You're running around showing how athletic you are, right? So, again, their mindset is we got coaches to teach the athletes to know how to play. So I think it's more of a it's more of an indication of coaching than it is – actually wearing pads right because i can teach someone how to play offensive line now it's nice to get pads in to get like it's kind of like boxing right 
you don't spar all the time to know how to box, but getting an occasional sparring in does help you get the feel, right? So that's that's what it could be. Now, what you could do is, I mean, I don't know if there's rules against it, but when you're doing one-on-ones, just have your lineman put pads on for one-on-ones, and that's it. Take them off for the rest of the practice. You can easily yeah. just do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it is against the rules, but I wouldn't be shocked if there was one coach who decided to do something like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, like I said, if it is against the rules, it is. And again, now, now the question becomes: Are you being a pro, right? Are you just going to practice for the four hours? and then going home and playing video games and doing whatever, or are you actually being a pro and trying to get better, right? And again, at this level, it's not on coaches to develop players. It's on players to develop themselves. I learned that the hard way. It was I didn't have coaches that were spending time with me to get better. I got better because I chose to get better. I put the time in to get better. I watched film. I worked on my sets in my, in, in my hotel room or whatever I was at. I would put pillows up on the wall and work on my punch and work on how my punches feel hitting something, right? So that way when I did go to practice or I did get the games, it's muscle memory, right? I'm not worried about if I got on pads and not everything is muscle memory, right? Um, and uh, like for me, pads during the week didn't prepare me for games. What prepared me for games was the mental thing. I, I always tell people football is 90% mental, 10% physical. Physical is not going to make you a great football player. Being able to match the smarts with the physical is going to make you a great football player. So I, I think, um, again, I think what it comes down to is coaching and how to coach, right? And then how to how to prepare your players to be pros is, is essentially what, what the downfall is. The point you made about the coaching cap too, I think is, or the, the staff cap or whatever it is, I think that's a really good point. Uh, particularly, like, I think a lot of the times it's only talked about in the context of, you know, the Elks fired their coach and their GM. So now they have to find somebody who can do both. Um, But what I think is overlooked a little bit is we look down the coaching tree is now, and there's people trimmed out. Like we've seen coaches doubling as offensive coordinators and offensive coordinators are also the quarter, like the, the quarterback's coach. So I think that there's been a lot, like, I I don't want you to come out and say that, you know, you don't like it or whatever. I don't want to put you in a spot like that, but um, no. there's no question that it's impacting the coaching in a negative way. It, it's, it's definitely impacting the game. I mean, whether I like it or not, doesn't really know, but it is impacting the game because you're, you're forcing people to, to have to do double duty. Right. And as much as many titles as you put on them, there's no way anybody can do five jobs at once. Right. There's no way you could be a great football coach and be a general manager and, be a defense coordinator and not just no slight. I'm not trying to throw shade at nobody. I'm just, just using an example because it's there, but um, it, it's very hard to be able to do those jobs without having people on your team, people behind you to be able to help kind of take some of that load off of you. So um, I think the coach's cap is a little bit of a hindrance, but it, the reason why they put it in place is because some teams could afford to have more coaches than others. Now, again, that all comes down to the business model of, of how you're paying people and how much money you're investing into the product to make it better, right? If you're not paying coaches, then you don't have the good coaches that's going to coach the player pool that you have. If you're not playing for good players, you don't have you got bad coaches and bad players. Well, then your product's going to look bad. It's just and it's going to be hard for you to build your brand, right? So, um, that's like I said in my Twitter spaces. That's really what makes the NFL what it is, right? Because they got the best coaches, they got the best players, they got all these people on staff, they got quality control and defensive yes, analysts and all this other all this all this stuff in, in the world to kind of make give everybody a little bit of different responsibilities to help make the big machine run right but again 
the 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 thing you're always gonna hear CFL doesn't have the money for that. CFL doesn't have the money for that. Well, I mean, you saw you saw BC Lions new owner come out and say, hey, if I gotta put my own money into this to get it right, then I will. I don't have a problem with that. So why is it that one new owner is willing to invest into his business to make it better, but the old most of the old guard doesn't want to do that? Then you got the people saying, oh, we have community-owned teams. And that. Well, the, the team's not really that community-owned, right? Because who's running the thing? Who's putting it together, right? Yeah, they say community-owned because it helps with the funding, but in, in all actuality, there's, there's other parts of that business that's run by people, right? How is it that they can pay three coaching staffs, but you're telling me that they don't have any money? Yeah, it's it's crazy in the NFL because it seems like every day somebody's being hired into a position that I'd never heard existed. Like I don't the the role that Henry Burris has now did that exist ten years ago? I don't think no, so. No, but maybe, the game is getting wrong, but yeah, but the game is getting to a point now where how do you groom coaches? You got to find positions to get coaches in there to groom them, right? How do you you know how do you build the next great? GM, how do you build the next great head coach? How do you build the next great defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, right? You got to find ways to get these people into the system so that they can learn all these different parts and help perfect their craft. The same thing with players, right? How do you, how do, how does offensive alignment get better? Well, don't just rely on your offensive line coach. Get you a trainer, get you an offensive line specialist, get you, you know, do some yoga, do some, some stretching, some Pilates, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's different parts to make you as best as you possibly can be, right? And when you start to cut down and water down everything, well, it's going to affect your product. And that's, that's essentially what's, what's, what you see is what's going on. It reminds me a lot, too, of just the players in general. Like, you know, sure, Richie Leone can kick field goals and he can punt as well, but do you want him to be, you know, average at both or do you want him to be an all-star punter every year? Do you want Deron Carter to be an elite receiver or do you want him to be average at receiver and defensive back? Even Man, though he had Deron Carter at DB was the best thing for the league. Like, I, I don't care what anyone says. Deron Carter as a defensive back was the best. Hey, you guys want me to drop a gem on you? Sure. I want the gem. Don't be surprised if you see it again. Good. He he's the league is better with him in it. I don't care what people have to say. The the league is better with Deron Carter in in it. Like it, it's facts. Like yeah. Okay, Deron so Deron Deron is a Deron is a is a and that's what I said earlier is that the league has had a gold mine with the amount of personalities that they've had in it and they've never utilized. You know, they're too busy trying to paint. You know what I'm saying? You got, you got, I think the biggest key issue is we need to get younger at everything in the league. You need the younger analysts. You need younger owners. You need younger coaches. You need people who can identify with today's society in more places of power, right? When you got 50, 60, 70-year-olds still running the show, then the mindset of how things are supposed to look and run is going to be different, Right? Think about how much reception the league got, especially in the States when John got chugged that bear out during the red-black game, right? Amazing. That thing was plastered all over SportsCenter. When do you ever see the CFL on the SportsCenter, right? But again, the league went ahead and goes, find him, never do it again. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, they took the fun out of it. You know how many, how many fans and fun they could have created off of that? How much revenue they could have created off of John got chugging that bear? And they and they and they and they pissed it down the drain because they because it didn't it didn't look they didn't want people to look at their league and go oh that's 
that's that's that's not respectable. Who who cares? It's entertainment. People want to be entertained. Which is crazy because they had like Milt Stiegel was probably the biggest personality of his era. Like when he played, there was no one bigger personality wise than Milt Stiegel. So you would think that TSN having him on the the broadcast would make it more appealing for players to show more personality. Because you see it on the panel every game day with Milt. So just, it makes he no try, sense. He tries, you know what? Milt is a, I like Milt, man. Me and Milt have a great relationship. You could tell he tries a little bit, but you could tell he has to rein himself in a little bit because he doesn't have the people around him to be able to like kind of play off of it. Think about, think about how much, how many people watch um, NBA on TNT because of Shaq and Chuck and Kenny and what they do, Right. Why can't you? Why can't you mimic that? You got enough personalities that's been in this league to be able to do that. Why do Why do people love pinball so much? Why does pinball get the reception that he gets? Right, because he's a personality, he's a character. When pinball walks in the room, people love pinball. Right, you may not you you could meet pinball for the first time and feel like you've known him your whole life, man. I, I, I'm a huge fan of pinball. Like pinball, pinball's the man. So why not? Why not? Why don't why don't you look for more people like that? You know what I'm saying? Like why does why does why does Simone get so the 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 you know the reception he does in Hamilton right? Because he's, he's a personality. You need that. They did. It helps. But they, they did the opposite with Deron Carter too, where they, they almost went to the extent to to vilify him when anything happened. And they I, did. I, mean, I think I think a lot of that came from. I think a lot of that came from the fans as well. Just it was with, also a certain uh, they certain... didn't like him because a he was really good. Well, you got to think about it. And, think and... about how think about how the Canadian Canadian people view Americans, right? I think that has to has a little bit of a play into it, right? Because there's already this complex that Americans are arrogant. They think they can do whatever they want, and they can come up here and just treat us like. Whatever, right? When in actuality, it's just personality, right? Like, how how much would think about a guy like Alex Singleton, right? Who had a ton of personality, ton of swagger, right? That he was applauded because he's Canadian. Canadian grew up in California, but he's Canadian, right? But but Alex was was the the prototype. They would push a guy like Alex, right? But they won't push a guy like Deron. Why? When they both For the the Deron situation, it was more, there were specific medias that were pushing Deron out. Uh, I'm not going to name names, uh, but there were some media outlets and and some media personalities that didn't like what Carter did. And I mean, you have the incidents between Carter and Campbell in Ottawa when he's walking back to the sidelines and he you know, intentionally bumps into him or accidentally bumps into him, whatever. That's where a lot of people nah, had issues with it. Rick Campbell did that. Oh, I, 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 I was all on the the Carter side because I was like, why are you that far out of like the like the sideline? You're like a good like almost five yards away from the sideline when you get bumped. But it's stuff like that, and then he gets he gets put in this like villain situation. Instead of being kind of like, this guy has a lot of personality. He's good for the league. Let's get him out more. He's kind of shown as this villain and like he's top notch, even though he hasn't performed even 
but he has. And then he had the call out on Bo Levi about how, or Bo Levi called him out saying he's going to pick on him all day and then brought it back for a touchdown. And it kind of just got thrown under the rug. There are certain media personalities that have a lot to do with this more than the league. I mean, absolutely. We know why. I'm not going to say why out loud, but we know why. But honestly, it's, it's, if you look at it, just look at how the NFL markets his players, right? They're not afraid to play hip-hop music on the broadcast. They're not afraid to have hip-hop hip hop artists come and do halftime shows and stuff, right? Look at how the CFL rolls out everything. Everything is catered to the old guard, right? To the older fans who like country music, who don't want to hear that, that mumble stuff, all that. But again, how do you get the age demographic that you want that's going to help your league prosper right you gotta you gotta start playing into that right making gear that's that's trendy making your players superstars right who have that personality right don't be scared to put the guy who got 10 10 gold chains on around his neck on national tv you know what i'm saying like don't be scared to do that type of stuff who was it i don't remember the name now and i I should um but he he was he was one of your teammates and he wore like the the full-blown like joker I believe he wore like Joker makeup. Oh, that was uh, Josh Bell. It was Josh Bell. Yeah. A one. Like that. That's the kind of stuff that would have been perfect to market. And like I said it for a long time, they never capitalized on it, right? And and they didn't talk about it much. They give it give it a little bit of five seconds, and then that was it, right? But. My thing is that's again too that goes back to to the, the personal player profile, right? Why is the NFL so popular? Because players are allowed to accentuate their personalities in off-field opportunities, right? We, our CFL players, aren't allowed those same opportunities to accentuate our off-field abilities, not not on a larger scale, right? You may have one guy, you may have two guys, you may have three guys, league wide. You don't have an abundance of them, right? We're a small league, right? We don't have we don't have the the same body size as the NFL, right? But we have the same athletes. We have the same characters. Why not accentuate that, right? Why not put more time in the CFL into doing off-season content? I think um, who did who did a great job with it and was kind of helping build that CFL profile when she was working for the league, Brody Lawson. When Brody Lawson used to travel in the off-season to guys' workouts and kind of talk about what they do, what they like to eat, how they like to work out, right? That's content and stuff that needs to be continued, right? It needs to be, and I get it, the pandemic has kind of limited some of the stuff that you can do, right? But you need to find ways to get back to that, right? You need to get find ways to get back to doing stuff like CFL week. Um, you need to do, find ways to think about, think about what NFL Network does for their league and for their brand, right? I think if the league found a way to, I mean, I know it's not easy, but doing some type of like network or mimicking some of that off-season content, like, 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 I'm a big fan of the media team in Ottawa, right? I think they do a great job of content. I think they do a great job of finding unique ways to market their team and their players and the personalities, even for fans, too, right? I think that's a model that needs to be looked at, right? And again, if you look at who's, in, who's doing all that stuff, it's, it's a younger demographic. It's people who understand what younger people like, who understand social media, understand how to utilize that to build a profile. And I think that needs to be something that needs to be looked at across like, other teams in the league and in the league office. Yeah, I yeah, mean, they, it's a fantastic team too. They're like, there's a, I think there's about four or five of them that, uh, you know, work on that constantly. And they're, 
they're spectacular and they handle two teams, which is, you know, a little bit more work than some other teams have to do for sure. But, um, and we're trying like, yeah, I've said, um, in the past too, like if you put a Jack, say like you put a Jack Harlow concert at halftime of, a of a, a game in Toronto, it's going to sell out. Like people are going to go and then sure. They're they're going to see a concert, but, Think, like, think about it. Look, Drake, Drake is Drake is right down the street, right? Have him come for ten minutes. Give him give him two hundred thousand dollars to come for five to ten minutes, and and tweet a photo at the game or say something or say hello or do one song as a as a like intro. Hey, come do the come do the run out for the team or whatever, and then just come kick it in the box and you know everything's taken care of. You're good, right? Get all the food, whatever you want in there, taken care of, right? How many people in Toronto will show up to a game if they knew Drake was there? A lot. That's what. That's why the Raptors they, are they, like they might they there. might sell out. They might sell out. They might sell out a BMO within ten minutes. And think about the cost of to go to a CFL game. Right, most expensive ticket is what maybe sixty, seventy, eighty dollars, maybe a hundred bucks. Who's not going to pay that? Yeah. yeah. Who's not going to pay that though to see Drake? Right. Who's not going to pay that to see? Um, you know, Tory Lanes. You know, who's not gonna pay that? You know what I'm saying? Like, you got all these things that you could possibly use, and you have the reach, right? MLSC has more clout and reach in Toronto than anybody, right? They own all the sports teams. They have the the, the reach to do it, right? You could get people to show up to a Raptors game. You're trying to tell me if you can get fifty, sixty, seventy thousand to show up to a Raptors game. You're trying to tell me you can't get fit thirty thousand, twenty five thousand to show up to an Argos game. And it comes. It's like people will say that oh they don't care about the Canadian League, but you can't convince me that watching say the Memphis Grizzlies come to town is more is better than watching you know the Hamilton Tiger Cats come to town. That's a more compelling story to me. Um, and you know I but just, it's all I, just though. I don't know if MLSE puts the the effort in that I would like to see that they put in for the Maple. <laughs> no, they're, 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 they're the not Raptors. going to until they feel like it's going to pay dividends, right? Why Why would anybody want to invest in something that the collective unit doesn't want to invest in it, right? If everybody wanted to invest in it, then they have no problem with investing into it, right? But if you got other teams saying, oh, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like the whole thing that happened with the XFL thing, right? The reason why they wanted to explore that is because they wanted to see what other options can we have to make this thing bigger. But you had the old guards, some of the old guards saying, oh, no, we don't like that. We don't want to deal with that, right? Because they felt like it was going to cut their power or cut their source to whatever it is that they, they wanted to keep keep a grip on, right? <clears throat> I think that's the biggest thing that, that people are scared of with change and innovation is when they feel like it's going to take away from them. It's always the case. People hate change and they hate innovation when they feel like it affects them in a way that they don't like. Instead of thinking about the collective good and thinking about if we build this thing profile for the league, how much more does that bring in than what I think I already have, right? In any business, adaptability is key to success, right? <clears throat> look at look at Apple as a company from start to what it is now, right? It's always about adapting. If another company does something that people love, hey, let's find a way that we could try to make that our own, right? How many times when when Androids came out and they started doing all this other stuff and everybody was like, man, that would be cool if, if, if iPhones could do that. What happened two, three months later? Boom, hey, iPhones could do this plus more. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's business, right? You gotta find ways to survive and adapt with your environment. Right. 
So um, that's that's that, that's what it is. I think I think the problem with us is that we have too many old guard people in positions of power, and they don't want to change for whatever reasons because they just comfortable where they're at. They like what they're doing. They don't want to be different. They don't want to get away from what they're comfortable with, right? And I think the more younger faces in new places that we can get in this league to help be innovative and creative and drive it in a different direction, I think I think it's it's, it's a good look. You had mentioned like just the music that's used in advertisements and stuff, and there, uh, it sticks with me because I thought it was a really good commercial. But there, at the beginning of the season, there was an NFL commercial with I, I think they used a Drake song. Uh, they had they featured like Lamar Jackson, just all these electric players that people love. Josh Allen, there, Tyreek Hill was there, George Kittle was there as well, and they did like they did some good edits on it too, and they had like you know different like animations. Uh, on a screen at the same time. And it stuck with me because it was a really good commercial and it got me really excited for week one of the NFL. And then I I, I was just kind of thinking about like what the CFL commercials look like this year. Shane, do you have any idea what they look like? Because I don't remember any of them. Uh, <laughs> all I know was, they're, they're very basic. Like they were your standard yeah. CFL commercial where it was like a couple of highlights and then it was the T- it was your typical TSN promotion when they're like, oh, what's up? on top this month kind of thing. There wasn't like a, I don't remember a CFL specific one unless it was a, like a specific game. Yeah. They're just not, they're not, a, they're not. Yeah, all, all I know is, game. all I know is after two, three weeks, I got, yeah. All I know is after two or three weeks, I got tired of hearing what you're made of, right? It's just <laughs> nothing wrong. I love country music. I love country music. Don't get me wrong. Some country music I listen to, but you got to mix it up. You can't play the exact same song every week, every day for six months. Like, yeah, the, I, NFL, the NFL never uses the same song for anything. They use different songs, use different genres, different people. They mix it up. They play to every demographic that they that they, wanna, they want to be a fan of, of the league, right? I don't know why this is like that. They play it to the team's music, too, I've noticed. Like, you have a, a, a promo for, like, a Tennessee Titans home game. It's more country. If you have one for, you know, the Jets or the Giants, it's, you know, more rap. You have one for, you know, Florida, it's more, you know, that, that party music. See, yeah. Well, though, yeah, it's just it's one song for everyone. Yeah, it's one song for everyone. And again, too, the biggest markets are the most multicultural, right? Toronto is not made up of what Saskatchewan province is made up of. It's made up of, you know, reggae. It's made up of, you know, you no know, Carabana. You got Carabana, your Caribbean music. You know, you got um you know that's that's the culture there, right? Why are you not playing to the culture? Because the, that's what's gonna bring in the revenue, right? That's the fan base that you need to touch, right? Because you don't have the same crowd that you get in Calgary and Winnipeg and Saskatchewan is not the crowd you're gonna get in Vancouver or Toronto. And those are the cities that you need, Montreal. Those are the cities that you need to be your biggest markets. If people get out west get pissed off at us whenever we mention that we think that Ontario or like the Eastern Division is kind of being neglected in advertising because you know they they see it and they're like oh well nobody ever talks about the Rough Riders or the the, the Lions or whatever but I, like I think in rea- like I'm watching commercials and I'm like this is all tailored for yeah it's tailored yeah. for Western Canadian like it's almost like they don't realize there's three teams in Ontario that have a different culture you know, a different mindset not country fans yes no one think about it the majority of people in in ontario are not country music fans 
majority of people in in BC, Van, Vancouver, they're not country music fans. No, those, those are so, pretty. They're not country music fans. So why are you not playing to that, right? That should be the cities where you go to Vancouver, you go to Toronto, you go to Montreal. Those would be those, that should be the that's where you put the show on. That's when the lights come on. That's when you get to really show show what you're made of, right? And they're not they're not playing they're not playing to the demographic there. My thing is you can't constantly come out here and say, "Hey, we're having trouble uh, reaching the younger crowd" when the crowd that you're always targeting to is 55 and plus, and they like country music. Yeah, and like, I've just recently like I graduated high school in 2019. I'm in college now. You can ask people around, uh, do they watch? the CFL and the answer is typically no you know the, like some people will say well I have a couple friends that do but it it, it doesn't matter like there's, Frank, there's think a about lot of people who don't Frank you think about this when you go out and you want to watch a Bills game do you ever have to walk in a place and say hey do you mind putting the Bills game on TV never never it's already on there when you walk in the door right but in order yep. for the CFL you go into places you got to walk in those places and go hey could you put the CFL game on and they go man I don't even know if we have that channel yeah. That's what you're dealing with. That's what you're dealing with. So my thing, you know how many times I try to go out to places and I want to watch a CFL game in a cactus club or in a, you know, in a um, Canadian uh, Canadian brew house or anything like that, right? And I got to ask them, hey, on one of these 25 TVs, can you put a CFL game on? And they're like, oh, I don't know if everybody in here wants to see that. You don't try to tell me people want to watch baseball. Well, baseball is the most – listen, baseball is cool, but it's the most boring sport to watch, right? True. Hockey. True. I know you guys love hockey, but hockey can get drawn out too. Like, you could go a whole period, no one's scoring, they're just skating back and forth and slapping the puck. You trying to tell me that's fun to watch? It has like, come on, moments. Man. I mean, I quite enjoy, <laughs> it has, I quite yeah, but, enjoy but hockey. But. Yeah, but most of the time, it's like baseball. Most I've been to baseball games live action. No one pays attention until the seventh inning. Yeah. The whole first six, seven innings, everybody's in there just getting drunk and having a great time and just loving it. No one's paying attention to what's going on on the field until you until you get to the home stretch, right? Hockey, I guarantee you, no one's paying attention to the game until third period. Uh, no, I mean if you're if you're going, okay, if you're if you're looking at the f- people in suits, yeah. That, when you when you see the videos when you see the videos of hockey, what are you doing? They're showing people in the stands. Everything is about the the presentation, right? Showing people in the yeah. stands, I mean, you know what I'm saying? People drinking some, beers, people, you know what I'm saying? Some Someone scoring, taking a shirt off. You know what some saying? Like in-game experiences are better than others. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, they have to be. I, think about it. Think about, think about, like, do people get excited to watch the Arizona Coyotes? I don't even, I, I never hear anybody talk about the Arizona Coyotes. No, because Arizona's been a dead market for like 20 years. It has, but I'm not, that's my thing, like. That's my thing, but if the you know what I'm saying, if if the Pittsburgh Penguins are in town, right, people are gonna come watch Sidney Crosby play, right? They're gonna come. They're gonna come watch um, Alex Ovechkin. They're gonna come watch. You know, they're gonna come watch those guys, right? So yeah. it's like a, it's like a, but it's it's, it's like a. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? But but that's my thing. It's like it's like it should be even if. You have the struggling markets. You should be able to build your league to a point where you accentuate your star so much that if certain players come to town, people want to see them, right? Because they have that larger-than-life mentality, right? How many years have Alex Ovechkin in the Capitals sucked, right? But people still go to watch because they just want to see Alex Ovechkin do his thing. It's true. There was a good amount of years where Alex Ovechkin, like the Capitals were just kind the of... The Capitals were horrible. Pressure. But everybody just loved the fact that Alex Ovechkin was going to 
come in and score a couple goals, and they had him plastered all over the place. Look, I don't even watch hockey, and I know who the hell Alex Ovechkin is. <laughs> That's true, which is actually crazy to That's see. That's what I'm saying. Like, what's the thing? Is that actually in Canada? Like, I don't watch. This is huge. I can name a baseball. I don't watch baseball like that, but I can name baseball players for you, right? Which is weird because, like, in like up in Canada, there's this misconception that like hockey players aren't properly like promoted and that like people if you're not in that market or you're not like an avid hockey fan you don't really know who these guys are so it's just it's it's interesting hearing you say that like you know who they are because up here it's shown to us it's presented to us that like unless you're a fan of that like a fan of a hockey team you or follow the league you don't know who these players are Nah, it's not true, man. That's a, that's the thing. The reason why you you know who these players are is because their 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 build is larger than life, right? They're able you're able to see them do other things outside of playing the sport, right? So why not find ways to do that with CFL players, right? Because if you start to build us as larger than life, people believe that whether they watch the sport or not, and they know who you are when you go places. If you come into town, they're coming to watch the game, right? If you're on commercials. They're going, who is that guy that's on this commercial? Who is he? Oh, he plays in the CFL. Well, let, let me watch this because I want to see, like, why do they have this guy on this commercial, right? It's really, that's really the society we live in, right? If you just find ways to tell the sponsors, like, listen, we're going to bring in revenue. You just got to help us build the profile of our athletes, right? What is the main thing that The Rock is talking about with how he's going to build the XFL, right? It's all entertainment. It's all marketing. It's all he talks about. They didn't even talk about the product with our athletes. We're going to tell their stories. We're going to make them. We're going to show you that they are exceptional athletes and exceptional people, and they're going to be billed as bigger than what they actually are, right? That's how you build the profile of the brain. Yeah. We mentioned it last week, too, that, you know, baseball has kind of figured this out. Uh, before it was, you know, baseball did not market their players properly. And then say what you want about Rob Manford, but under his reign, they have started – you know, Shohei Otani is literally the biggest thing to happen to baseball since Babe Ruth at this point. Vlad Jr. is being marketed. They're, they love the guy. Uh, you know, Fernando Tatis has been phenomenal for the game. And now there's this level of, like, camaraderie with, with players. And, you know, these are, these are household names now. And it feels like baseball, after being a dead sport for years, is kind of making a comeback. And the CFL needs to look at that. Listen, you know who my favorite baseball player is right now? Uh, man, I'm drawing blanks on his name, but I know his face. Uh, who's the who's the uh, the the young kid for the White Sox? Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my God! I I'm drawing the... blanks, but I know who he is because because he hits a home run. He's doing bat flips. He's doing. I'm saying he's dancing. He's doing like all this, all this. Extra oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember. Um, he got yelled at by his manager about it. Yeah. Yo, but that's uh, a guy. You, who, I don't think Shane's thinking of Yerman Mercedes. No, is, I'm, it's, it's a it's it's a it's a young black kid. I forgot his name. I'm drawing blanks. I had. It I know exactly who you're talking about. Why am I? I I've forgotten his name here too. Of course. Yeah. But I but I, I love I love watching him play. I don't even watch the White Sox. I don't watch baseball. Yon Moncada. He's playing. No, 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 not him. It's it's something no. else. It's uh, uh Tim Anderson. I had Maybe it. Tim Anderson. Yes, Tim Anderson. That's who it is. 
It's Tim Anderson. Think about, think about, like, like to me, Tim Anderson is exciting. I don't watch baseball, but I watch Tim Anderson play. I don't care if the White Sox is blown out. Yeah, it's like, it's like the Jose Bautista bat flip. We we've seen that start to happen now, uh, where kind of the old heads have, have said, "Well, that's awful. That's yeah, but they clearly he's it. showing up the other team, but it brings yeah, in no, new fans." But he's an entertainer. He's going to bring in new fans. That's yeah, as simple mean, as a, simple as day, right? Think about it. Think about think about how much people in Winnipeg went crazy for Chris Strebler because who played 10 snaps, but because he was walking around here in a drunk in a fur coat, people loved him. He's, he's, he's Winnipeg folklore because he was running around here drunk in a fur coat and doing short yardage touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, people still were showing up to the games last year dressed like him. He wasn't even on the team no more. That's true, which was hilarious to see. Let's be honest. Like, that was but that's, so what, that's, what, that's what builds the brand. Let guys show their personality. 100%. That's why, they, that's why they, you know what I'm saying? You're going to allow it during the championship. Why not allow it all season? That's what makes it fun. The thing that made the XFL profile grow so quick in the States is because after every win, they let us get drunk in the locker room. They gave us the liquor. It was The league was sponsored by the liquor. They gave us the liquor. They let us get drunk in the locker room. They showed us in our uniforms crushing Bud Light Celsius. That's amazing. That's a that's a perfect chance for a sponsorship too. Why do Why do you think anybody even knows who Taylor Heineke is? And again, he missed out. He missed out on a prime sponsorship because if I was him with that last name, I would have got a sponsorship by Heineken instead of Bud Light. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's easy true. math. It's easy math. He could have crushed it with a Heineken sponsorship. Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. But I mean, that's I a missed opportunity. I, I got into an argument the other day, or literally yesterday, on Twitter about how. Uh, with the slime game, the Nickelodeon slime game, how it's not necessarily the the product that's on the field. It's about how it's produced and how, like, if the, the CFL just produced better quality content consistently, the marketing would start to take care of itself because quality content, if it's produced consistently, will find its way to viewers. It will share itself. It's kind of what the NFL has. You have people who aren't NFL fans or aren't football fans, you know, watching these clips and or, or their kids are watching these clips and are are going about it, which, you know, I wish the CFL would do. My bad, fellas. Keeps, keeps timing out on me. Keeps timing out on me. Yeah, but, um, yeah, man, but that's, that's, that's pretty much it, man. I just... I just want to find ways to. I'm trying to build my own profile right now. I'm trying to get um, build the league's profile, and just basically try to try to write the ship in the right direction, man. Because we got great athletes in the CFL. It's a great league. It's a great product. Just needs to be pushed more. Needs to be invested in more. And from all angles, from a player's angle, from a coach's angle, from a league office angle, just everything in general. So, um, but yeah, my kids is getting a little restless. I gotta get them ready for bed. I appreciate y'all bringing me on, fellas. Um, we're gonna do this again real soon. I got a whole lot of time in the off season, man. Um, definitely want to talk to y'all about maybe probably finding ways to kind of do some more content, man. Anything to kind of just build, build up some people out before the season kicks off for twenty two. Yeah, she just uh, she just a DM. We'll, we'll definitely help out with that. Before we get to our next interview, we want to thank you guys for making it this far into the episode. 
If you're still here, it means you probably like it a little bit, at least a little bit. So make sure that you hit the follow button, save it to wherever you listen to your podcast, rate us five stars. Uh, and with that being said, we have a conversation now with Ottawa 67's general manager and Team Canada general manager for when the World Juniors do hopefully get back going, uh, James Boyd. Talked a little bit about the World Juniors, talked a little bit about his trade deadline with the 67s, and of course, we talked about Ottawa Senators prospect Tyler Boucher. So let's get right into that. Since we last talked about the World Juniors, I guess we can uh, kind of start there. Just get your your feelings on, you know, I don't like I don't know if it's postponed or canceled at this point. Um, what was like? What was your feeling when you found out that uh, that that was it? Sorry, sorry, I missed the last part there. Like when you found out that the the whole thing was kind of off the rails and canceled the games or whatever they did. Um, yeah. Just your feelings on that. Uh, well, it, it happened quickly. Like we were, uh, we were getting ready for a game at night. Uh, and like word started leaking that there was some positive tests, but there had been some false positives up to that point or, you know, there'd been one game canceled. So it didn't really register what was going on. And then, you know, there was the, two American positive tests and then there was rumor of a Russian player testing positive. Uh, and then that was it. The, the tournament was canceled. So from hearing about, you know, there's a potential positive with another team to the tournament being canceled was 45 minutes, you know, so it happened extremely quickly. So it was a shock. And then as soon as you get the word, then the, you know, the dismantling starts, you know, it's almost, uh, you know, the tournament's canceled and, you know, the equipment managers are packing the gear and it's almost a surreal uh, atmosphere. So all the players are gone the next day. I was on a flight. I was home at my house in uh, Toronto, at, you know, in the early afternoon uh, the following day. And then it's still, uh, you know, we, it's disappointing. It's, you know, a tremendous emotional investment for players and staff. But, uh, you know, there's still a hope that we can continue the tournament at some point. Um which is, of course, out of our hands, but we're hoping for good news there. Uh, and in the meantime, we're back into the trade deadline and helping our teams uh, through this uh, difficult winter. So it's, it's haven't had too much time to reflect on it, right? Yeah, and I, like I imagine that being backed off from obviously what would have been a pretty upsetting time for for all the work that you put in to to get to the games and get uh, the best team in the ice possible, and then you're thrust immediately into the deadline. Like what? How was your, I, I guess, mental state in a way, um, just to kind of, you have to get past it and you have to do what's best for your club at that time? Well, that's it. Like many other times during the pandemic, you just, you got to put it behind, put it behind you quickly and, and move on and deal with what's, you know, what's important right now. So, um, you know, and, that's, and there wasn't, you know, heading into the trade deadline or the, um, you know, the second half of the season, it didn't, you know, it wasn't sprung upon us. We've been planning for it for a number of months and, we're constantly reviewing our team and, and the other teams in the league and talking about possibilities. And so we have a pretty good handle on it. It wasn't something that uh, you know, required a lot of work, but we, we had our work planned out and, uh, uh, you know, heading into the deadline. And I think that uh, there probably wasn't as much action based on the conversations that were being had between the teams throughout the month of December. Uh, would have thought there might have been a lot more of a, uh, action at the trade deadline but there wasn't and sometimes that's just the way that it goes i think there's a lot of teams that uh you know speaking for other teams but there's some uncertainty there and uh a lot of parity in the league which is good for the league so there's a number of teams here are going to be battling it out till the end 
And just on a couple of specific moves that you guys made, obviously trading Brendan Sirizotti, I think, came as a surprise to a lot of people just with the production that he's had, especially as of late with uh, with some key absences. Um, why was now the time to decide uh, that moving on from him was the best, especially when you had, I believe, it's another year or two with him if you wanted it? Well, I think, you know, a big part of uh, constructing your team and player development and, you know, our philosophy is that players have to be in the right spot. And so, uh, you know, with the addition of, uh, uh, you know, some other some injured players back in the lineup and uh, a chance after a few months to assess our team, um, you know, that we felt that it was uh, uh, best to, to find a spot for Brendan where he was able to continue to develop his game, but also it provides development opportunities for some of the players that we have on our roster now. So... Uh, and the fact that we got a second round pick back, which we didn't have a second round pick at the time in 2023, which as we see around the trade deadline, it's, uh, it's extremely important to stockpile picks, uh, to have that, those assets in our league, if you're looking to improve your team in the future. So I think there was a good fit. Niagara was, uh, obviously familiar with Brendan and then, uh, his skill set was something that they coveted. And then we were able to get our second round pick back. So sometimes those deals, they, uh, they materialize quickly and it makes sense to both sides. So. Uh, you know, we're, we're, I know Brendan, speaking with Brendan, he was, uh, he was happy with, you know, happy to spend time with our team and very thankful and we're thankful for his efforts and hopefully he continues to develop his game there and has some success. One of the first questions I had, not following that, but following the developments that Dylan Robinson had been released, you know, obviously I think JF reported that it was just him deciding that he wasn't interested in, in continuing with his hockey career. Was that something you guys knew about when you decided to move Brendan, or was that something that you just kind of had to adapt afterwards? No, we didn't. Okay, I don't want to get into the specifics of uh, you know our conversations with players, but we uh, we have a pretty good handle on what's happening with our team, you know, at all times. And I think you know uh, uh, Dylan's decisions are not taken us by surprise. I think you know he wants to continue his hockey career close to home uh, and. Uh, uh, and you know, live at home. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that, no, we're not entirely surprised. It's not something that, uh, we are forced to react to in the end, but it's, it's, uh, we hope the deal is happy, you know, that he gets in a situation there where he's playing lots and having fun, uh, and living at home and, you know, he can recapture his love for the game. But, uh, we were, you know, we were aware that he was, uh, uh maybe not, uh, enjoying the game as much as he should in the last few months with our team. Right. And then the last, trade that you guys made obviously was uh alec belanger going to kingston obviously he's a, is a big locker room guy uh, and somebody that i'm assuming you would have liked to keep if you know it was possible uh which is what were some of the factors that went into deciding to move him along well it's not something that you know to be truthful it's not something that we're actively looking to do but i think that you know in the uh uh, there was a shortage of, uh, when you look around the league, a shortage of 19-year-old defensemen that were on the move. And Kingston, obviously, uh, you know, we're looking to add a veteran with some experience to the lineup. So uh, as we inch closer to the uh, trade deadline, uh, you know, talk started to intensify. And then, uh, you know, with the the third and the, the second and third and the fifth that we uh, were able to recruit being key pieces, uh, and again, it also gives Alec an opportunity to, to continue with Kingston, but it also, you know, 
opens up some ice time for some of our younger players who have impressed us in the first half to continue developing their game. Um, so it's one of those that uh, uh, it met a number of our needs. And uh, after, you know, consulting for a short period of time, we decided that, uh, yeah, he is a leader. Alec is a leader. And, and, uh, he's been a valued teammate here, but that's the reason why he's coveted by other teams and we're able to uh, improve our team at the same time. Was there a factor at all in that trade of kind of looking forward to next year as well? Just because I believe now uh, you guys are down to just three OAs for next season as well. Yeah, definitely. That, that, that has part to do with it is looking down the road. Uh, you know, what does our team look like in the summertime? And, um, you know, you're always projecting a year ahead, two years ahead. And uh, of course you got to, you got to adjust sometimes on the fly, but you know, that, that, that's a, uh, kind of dual purpose there is not only is it meeting our needs, but it also, uh, uh, you know, helps to address uh, potential, uh, um, you know, speed bump in the future. So, um, you know, I think 19-year-olds uh, who are potential overages, the, uh, uh, sometimes the, the, the most valuable uh, period of time is the trade deadline of their 19-year-old year, and it feels like this was the case in this uh, instance. Just an overall sense of, of your deadline. Did you get some, like a lot of the stuff you wanted to do done, or is there a couple of things that, I mean, you still really wanted to do that you couldn't get done? Uh, no, we were in a, like we were, we're always active and always talking to other teams. I think that you know we've uh, we still got a team that we can return the majority of our players next year. I think we're we're still at a stage where. Uh, Dave Cameron and the staff, they really like our, our group, our young group. They're excited about the young players. I think when talking with the coaches, they, they'd like to see a healthy lineup and they'd like to see you know our our team uh, together uh, for a series of games here so we know exactly what we got. But the individual pieces they really like. We really like to see Jack Beck back in the lineup. And of course, the addition of Tyler Boucher uh, to see what he brings to uh, you know our, our dynamic here. Having Guy Demack back makes a huge difference, as we see, and it sends Roy back from World Juniors. Adam Vargas is a key piece. Um, you know, we're going to be inserting him back in the lineup as well. So we've got some key pieces that are coming back into the lineup, uh, you know, that we're already on our roster, and that's what we're most excited about. I guess on that front, um, Jack Beck has been out for the majority of the season at this point. Is, is there expectation that he's going to be back anytime soon? Yeah, Jackson training. Uh, he's 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 been training here in, uh, with the team in Ottawa, and his uh, his return is on the horizon. Uh, I don't I don't want to put a time, you know, period of time on it because it's uh, it's a different type of injury. But uh, uh, you know, he's uh, he's training, and it looks good for the future. When he does get back into the lineup, obviously Tyler Boucher is going to be there as well. Uh, is I guess the expectation at this point. Where do you do, like? Do you expect him to be slotting back in towards the top of the lineup? Oh yeah, he, he'd be. He's a frontline player, and uh, uh, you know we expect him. Uh, you know, this part of the uh, the rehabilitation process is to make sure that he's a hundred, you know, hundred percent or close to hundred percent when he returns to the lineup because he's going to be playing key minutes for us when he gets back. I guess we'll move on to Tyler Boucher then. Um, there was probably conversations between you and uh, Pierre Dorian. Uh, as he alluded to, and he mentioned that you know sending Tyler to a coach like Dave is is going to be good for his development. Uh, what were those conversations with with Pierre like? Actually, a short it was a short conversation with Pierre. I know that obviously we drafted Tyler. We've been following Tyler, uh, but it's not a you know it's not a situation where 
we've been texting Tyler or, or, you know, calling him and trying to convince him to leave school. It was, you know, more, you know, allowing the situation to play out. So I had, uh, had a couple of discussions with, with Tyler's father. I had a discussion with his, uh, with his agent. Um, but, uh, really this has been, uh, for us watching the, you know, Tyler's development time in, in college and, and, uh, you know, staying on top of things. So it's, this is something where the Sens, you know, uh, stepped up. They wanted to sign him. Uh, and obviously, with us having his junior rights and being right in their backyard, it made sense. But really, it was, uh, uh, you know, just a quick conversation be- between Pierre and I of, uh, you know, this is what the Sens were looking to do. And, uh, you know, they supported, uh, obviously, him reporting the 67s. And Pierre and Dave know each other, of course, extremely well. And Pierre was a excited about uh, having Tyler work with Dave. So, uh, you know, that, that's one of those nice phone calls you get as a general manager where it's, uh, hey, uh, uh, we're going to sign this player and we'd like to assign him to you. Um, you, you know, this is one of the better phone calls that you can get. But then it was, you know, a matter of getting on the phone with Tyler and, you know, making sure that, uh, uh, you know, the I's were, were dotted and the T's were crossed. And, uh, of course, it was uh, set back a little bit with uh, the COVID diagnosis, as we know. Uh, so, you know, Tyler's, uh, again, Tyler, Tyler's training, getting back into game shape here and recovering from, uh, uh, recovering from, uh, you know, some injury himself. So, uh, when he gets back in the lineup, he's going to be a key part of our team, but, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to have the support of an NHL team, especially when it's in your backyard. And Dave mentioned too, that, um, he's, he's looking forward to seeing a bigger physical forward into the lineup. What do you think that, uh, that Tyler can bring to you guys? Well, he's a presence, you know, he's, he's, he's a big guy. He hits like a truck. He's, he's, uh, he's kind of a quintessential power forward. So he's, uh, he, you know, he's, uh, he's able to impact the game in a number of ways that you don't see on the scoreboard. Although in the game, he's got a, he's got a great shot. He's always around the net. He's very dangerous below the top of the circles, but he's, uh, you know, he's able to hunt defensemen down on the four check and turn pucks over and, uh, you know, he's always in front screening the goalie. So he brings a lot of things that, you know, every coach preaches, uh, you know, they like players to do. I think that's inherent, you know, in Tyler's game. So it's going to be a, a welcome addition for us, not only the size and the strength, but also some experience, uh, you know, playing some international hockey in the U.S. program and playing some college hockey. And, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be another older player that we can add to that, uh, uh, add to our lineup for this year and possibly next. Have you guys thought about uh, some possible line combinations for him yet that might help him succeed? Well, that'll be up to the coaching staff, but uh, I know uh, I know that it gives us a lot of flexibility here. Um, you know, when we have all the players back in the lineup to uh, create a number of different lines. But no, I can't speak specifically to you know what the coaches are are diagramming up. Uh, I think our key here is to get through the next series of games here this weekend. We're still going to be short staffed. Uh, we've called up uh, Cooper Foster uh, from our affiliate and uh, our affiliate player from uh, the Sioux Thunderbirds Junior A uh, to fill out our lineup, and you'll probably see uh, at times this weekend uh, Thomas Sermon playing forward again. So our coaches have their hands full with uh, you know getting back uh, playing a, you know getting back in a game here after a layoff and uh, making sure the players are uh, are comfortable, and then uh, you know as the players start to fill their back in the lineup, they'll be able to chink- tinker with the. Uh, Line combinations and have some more flexibility. Just kind of off topic here. You mentioned affiliate players. Is Gavin Ewell still with uh, with the roster right now? Gavin Ewell, Gavin Ewell is available to us. Uh, he'll be returning. He'll be here on Saturday. 
but some of our affiliate players, we're, we'll have them in training with our team, um, you know, over the next couple of weeks as their uh, club teams are shut down. Uh, the availability of those players varies. Of course, we've got school schedules and things to, uh, to keep in mind. So as much as possible, we want to, uh, you know, help those players, get them on the ice, get them working with their staff and, uh, uh, you know, so that they're ready uh, if the uh, time comes when we need them in the lineup. Just a, one more thought on them. I think I think all three of them have eaten up some critical minutes and they've played well while they're here. Uh, just some thoughts on your affiliate players this year and like how much depth it, uh, it adds to the organization to have guys who can do that. Yeah, it's been nice that, the, you know, the, not only are they in good development situations, um, but uh, that they are you know, been able to come in and fill in and, and do a good job for us. And, uh, you know, I think with Gavin Eels, for example, coming up and scoring a <laughs> key goal in North Bay in his first OHL game. Um, but Jack Dever as well, um, you know, has filled in a, a couple of times. We've been in a pinch and hasn't looked out of place. Cooper Fosh was, of course, down uh, in December and played a series of games and looked good. Uh, and, you know, he, of course, he's having a tremendous season there with the Sioux Thunderbirds. So, yeah, when we look down our, uh, when we look at our affiliate players, our 16-year-old players, uh, there is some, de- you know, some depth depth in the organization that we're uh, we're very happy with, and that's without, you know, without even mentioning, uh, um, you know, Ethan Quick who plays in Wellington Junior A, who's uh, proven to be a, a really quality prospect, and the McPherson twins and in Leamington also have shown the, uh, you know, they're having a pretty good year there in Junior B as some of the top players in their team, and you know, lastly. Uh, another player I mentioned is Brad Horner playing in Hawkesbury here. He's an excellent player. Um, he's really trending in the right direction. So our scouts have done a great job of identifying those players. We, of course, we're, we're doing our best to keep tabs on them here in this uh, another challenging season. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's a crop that uh, you know, our coaches are excited about, and we're excited to keep tracking them and get them in the games when we can. And I forgot to mention uh, Max Donoso in there as well because at this point I've kind of forgotten that he's an affiliate. But just on the on the Tyler Boucher front, one more there. Um, obviously, he's not playing this weekend. Do you guys expect him to be back for next weekend, or is just kind of uh, going day to day with him? Uh, it's just day to day. It'll be day to day. I think uh, you know, hoping that he'll be back for the next weekend. But uh, you know, he has to uh, uh, he has to clear some uh, some hurdles there, uh, and we want to make sure that he's uh, you know one hundred percent when he returns to the lineup. So he missed a significant amount of time. Uh, in the month of December and then, uh, you know, leading up to this week. So uh, he's he's working to get back into, uh, uh, you know, the, back into game form and uh, we'll work closely with the Sens on that. Uh, you know, he'll be back in the near future, let's say that. Okay. And then just one last one for you. Uh, right now you guys are in seventh. Last time we talked, you guys were in first. Um, yeah. I think the, you know, the reality is you're somewhere between there. Um in all likelihood, what what do you expect to see from this team in in the second half of the season? Well, again, I think we want to get we want to get you know healthy bodies back in the lineup, and uh, we have to get ourselves we have to get back to playing that team game we had success from earlier in the season, uh, and start to, uh, you know that's where our depth was so valuable. So by adding people back into the lineup then we uh, create that depth in the playing as a team I think that we can uh, become a team that uh, our goal now is get through this difficult second half and be the team that uh, is extremely du- extremely difficult uh, first round opponent for someone in the playoffs so yes, goal number one is qualify for the playoffs goal number two is to uh, 
and, you know, be playing your very best uh, when the puck drops in that first playoff game. That'll be our goal in the second half. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not going to take any more of your time. I think I'm all good there. And uh, uh, th- thanks for uh, taking the time out of your day to talk to me.